Where's the cards? I got I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart, man. I didn't see it coming. Oh. I feel Philly, oh. Phil, Philly, Phil. Oh. I can't Phil. do this, Teej. My team, the Mariners. They're dead. Ah oh, man, man. I'm I'm sorry, Phil. I'm sorry, man. Their heads fell off. Wait, their heads fell off. Yeah, they were pretty young. I mean, that's it, bro. I've had it with this season. I got no prospects. I got no call-ups. Our team's heads are falling off. Okay, just calm down. I mean, what the hell are we going to do here, Philly? We got to get out of this town, man. Yeah, and go where? Where are we going to go? i tell you where we're going to go, Philly. We're going to go someplace cool. We're going to go someplace where the whiskey flows like sake, where split-finger pitchers instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. I'm talking about a little island called Japan. Oh, I don't think so, TJ. The French are assholes. Wait, wait a minute. I know what you're up to, mister. You just want to go to Japan and find that guy that had a one two six ERA this season, and you need me to fly you there, right? Yeah. Am, so, I, am I right? Yeah, so, yeah, so. Okay, TJ. Japan it is. You better not be messing with me, Philly man. No, no. Just, just let it out. Just let it out. Okay, that's enough. Tool Time, a prospecting podcast, part of the EFIS Podcast Network. I'm your main man, TJ, the Yachty Guy. I got my main man, Philly, the showrunner over here. What's up, Phil? Hey, TJ. How you doing, man? Man, I'm living a dream. I uh, We took a, a week off from EFIS last week, as I'm sure everybody probably noticed. The first time I haven't recorded a podcast on a weekend since like July, bro. It was weird. I know. I, you know... I think we got as close to as possible as having people come at us with the pitchforks for no new episodes this last week. So I guess we got to do a little uh, little double up on the time. So what do you say? Shoot for three hours today and keep them busy? Well, I'm, I'm sure that by the time they're listening to this, they see the episode runtime. And I'm I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a gambler, admittedly so. So I'm willing to venture a guess that we're going to touch three hours on this one. Yeah, I mean, we got some. Uh, Pretty awesome content lined up today. Minor league season may be over, but you know we got a little uh, little talk about the Arizona Fall League in the playoffs with Lindsey Crosby from Locked On. My We're man, doing a breakdown of uh, NPB guys to look at, as well as some insight on the NPB card market. Um, joined by Guy Jane Baseball, and My NPB man. card guy, um, both of which just amazing, incredible content. Great interviews we're going to have with them. Hope you're excited to learn about it, and you know, kind of. A different avenue for prospecting. I don't know if I'd call them prospects, but just kind of a different way to invest in some cards early on and get ahead of the market. I mean, and and just real quick, Philly, uh, excellent work, man, out here. I mean, you're running out here, grabbing these guests, all these guys coming on here, you know, veritable experts and reliable sources in their their lanes. And uh, like I talk about, you know, I'm just a guy. We're just a couple of guys. So to have these guys, you know, take their time to come on and, and, and share all of this with us and invest their time uh, is truly a blessing. And it's really, really awesome. Appreciate your uh, 
our work. Philly the showrunner. Philly oh, man, the you know, the, the thing is, and, you know, I thought it was pretty funny. You're the name with the cachet. You know, we posted up in the MPB Reddit, you know, looking for some folks to talk on the subject. And, you know, the first reply we get was, wait, like TJ, the Yachty guy, his show? Okay, I'll do it. So, you know, that, that TJ is known throughout the land, man. Not only uh, not only in the pod world, not only in the Discord, but, you know, all of North America knows the man. I'm, I'm absolutely humbled and honored uh, to just, you know, to be thought of or spoken of that way by even one or two people. So that's awesome. I appreciate that. Hey, you know, got to start somewhere. <laughs> how's the uh, how's the week been, Philly? Uh, real quick, hey, shout out to my man Mike, Card Kings in Tucson. Big Mike doing big things. Check him out on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but how's your week been in a hobby, Phil? It's been good. Um, you know, starting to watch some of those guys in the fall league. Um, that we talked about last time out, you know, put up some uh, some fun games, finding some, you know, cool little little things to chase after, whether it's uh, the Leaf Trinity cards or Panini Immaculate, you know, such a cool selection out there. Bowman prices are still a little bit high um, for what I'm looking at, but, you know, they're going to come down. So just kind of playing the patient game on that. And yeah, just it's always fun to look, right? Yeah, it it sure is, man. I've been uh I've been kind of, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit myself too, and I've refocused a little bit. So part of my issue is is, you know, between the two the three bulk subs that we did on the Discord, I've got ninety-nine cards at PSA currently in various stages of grading. So um yeah, I'm gonna have to pay for all that eventually, bro. Yeah. And so uh, you know, with that said, I've I've kind of, you know, pumped the brakes on buying a little bit and just Really just, you know, I'm not buying anything unless it's a steal. So I showed you my little pickup uh, from Panini Immaculate. I got that Jordan Walker. It's yeah. a piece of his fielding glove on an auto. I think it's numbered out of 49. Uh, it's a sticker auto, but what are you going to do? But I got it for 29 bucks. Um, so what I've been doing lately is, is, you know, I'll go and search for my regular guys, you know, Jordan Walker, Junior Caminero. I've been picking up some James Wood, Jackson Churio, wherever I can. Nice. Um, and I'm just putting in super, super low ball. There's no way I'll ever win this card at this price type of bids, right. you know, like eight bucks, you know what I mean? Or 25 bucks for a PSA 10. And, uh, you know, one out of every 999 times it works out. So uh, hit a couple of nice you know, little pickups. I got that that Jordan Walker I was just telling you about for twenty nine. Um, See, for think, a piece of his glove and an auto, I mean, that's not exactly something you just find sitting around at somebody's house every so often. That's that's pretty cool to come by. Yeah, it's, it's a sick piece. It's a sick piece. I can't wait to get it in hand. So this, you know, immaculate at that rip price, it's it's a pretty tough justification. But the singles market is nice. So uh, I'm just looking for auctions that are, you know, not listed as efficiently as possible talking about you know the day the auction is ending or maybe it wasn't you know the item description isn't super clear um little tip i heard so if you have a serial numbered card like i'm looking at this this junior caminero out of 399 right mm -hmm. and i want to list this on ebay so you'll put you know your backslash 399 to indicate you know how many of them there are but a lot of people will put the first you know so this one's 162 out of 399 right. if i list that 162 Instead of just the backslash with the 399, it doesn't populate in the search results the same way. And oftentimes you get like kind of disqualified from that search result. This is what I've heard. So hey. it's more beneficial if you're listing serial number cards to not list that first 
you know, what number it is out of, right? So, so this indicating what parallel it is. And- exactly. You just want to let them know. And then, you know, the one time I would maybe denote something as if it's like a Jersey number match. And I would just kind of type that in the, in the item description as well. So, you know, take from that what you will, but, um, so yeah, I've just been, uh, looking for some steals, man, looking for some poorly listed cards and trying to buy them up. I got to wonder, you know, maybe we'll talk on it next time around, but where the Camonero market is now that Tampa got a, embarrassingly pushed out and junior only had one plate appearance in the whole thing. And so I can tell, I can tell you. So when he got called up, there was a quick spike, a nice spike. I would probably call it 30, 40%, something like that. You know, like you said, the guys were flipping their mojo autos and stuff like that. Mojo autos are pretty good baseline for this. So before the call up, I was buying them for about 110. When the hype started, they were selling for about 200. When he got called up, you might've sold that for about three. Um, now they're back down to about 179, 180, something like that. So, you know, his hype went up and then it stalled and then it dipped a little bit. Yep. And now it's just kind of stagnated. So we're almost back to where I was buying Camonero for in August or July. Um, and I, I don't love that call up, man. It kind of it kind of really hurt his value, in my opinion, because it just kind of derailed the hype. Um, he didn't do anything significant. He hit a home run. He hit a couple, uh, RBI thing like that in the, uh, in the regular season. He didn't do anything in the postseason. had two pinch right. hitting appearances. It's, it was trash. So, um, I'm hoping yeah, he does like Evan Carter overshadowing him, you know, for exactly the race next year. So, so I'm hoping he does something significant in the winter or has a big spring, spring training. That's really what we're banking on now at this point. But yeah, this is odd. Very, very odd. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, you know, not necessarily over and done with yet. I mean, he's got Dominican League. He was the number one pick in the Dominican draft. So, you know, he's going to go there in the winter and light it up. Um, unless, for whatever reason, Tampa says, no, you're on opening day roster. We want you to, to rest. But I think he'll be there. You know, no reason to think he can't show out some more and kind of shake off that small sample size debut. But I don't know. He's still going to be in the picture next year. So I guess for those looking for opportunity, time to buy again. Yeah, it's cheap. It's cheap. So what are you thinking about the uh, the Bowman two of one, the Super Fractor uh, scandal? All right, man. So, uh, you know, I, my my opinion of Bowman Chrome switched within probably about a week to 10 days of release. It just, you know, upon further review of the checklist and seeing some rips and doing a couple myself, um, it's just is a horrible checklist, you know, for lack of a better word. Everything else about the product, fine. We're not talking about QC. I'm just talking about right. a straight up checklist. I was already a little turned off. So, you know, for those who don't know, and I'm sure you probably do, I think there's upwards of 80 or 90 of the super factors in the uh-huh. set. They printed duplicates of them. And wow, first of all, let's just let that sink in for a minute. So, you know, the Super Fractor is arguably the most valuable card in the damn set, right? If I'm a Jose de Paula collector, that's what I want. Um, And you print two of them. That's ridiculous. You know, in the past, there's been, I remember, I don't know if you remember in Bowman Draft where they double printed a lot of the sky blue paper 499s. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up with two Jonathan Mejia's with the same, I had them both. You know what I'm saying? So this is something, 
yeah, this is, and it's like, I'm pissed when that happens. Like, what the hell is this? Um, You know, it really makes, it has to make you question everything on a bigger level. What else is, is double printed? What else is an issue? What are they holding back? What are they putting out? What the hell is really going on in these guys that are putting these boxes together? So, you know, once you get past all of that, tops are fanatics, whatever came out and they've got this, this buyback program. And they've announced these exorbitant prices with which they're willing to purchase the duplicate superfractor. So if I pull the Ethan Salas superfractor and you pull an Ethan Salas superfractor, which, I mean, I think one of them got bought, but let's assume that that's possible, right? Because at this point, anything is possible with tops, right? The, I mean, the, we, we think it's only one duplicate, but you know. Yeah. What What is one of one, right? What is anything anymore? What is a taco fractor? What is anything? <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we both pull one, I reach out to fanatics and I say, Hey man, I got this duplicate that you assholes put out here. You know, here you go. They're going to give me $35,000 for it. It's, yeah. it's, I think Salas was 75. I mean, just, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and, and and so if you pull any of those, sell them to, to tops immediately. The, the the buyback is amazing. That's fantastic. That's way more money than you would ever uh, recoup on the open market. Yeah, far and away. Um, I hate all of this, and you know I'm tired. And I hear a lot of content creators and other podcasts that say, "Oh, great job, fanatics, for you know attacking this." And not nah, f that man. You have one job. It's print cards. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't buy any of this. I don't like any of this. It's a big turnoff. It's kind of an eye opener. I'm getting my tinfoil hat. You know, I'm not putting it on, but I am. I'm going to start making one. You know what I mean? So this is kind of a this is kind of a turnoff. What'd you think? I don't know. I, I kind of on that tinfoil hat. You know thread there i mean there's a little bit of chatter that well we we saw how well the uh, babe ruth bounty went you know and all the hype that got so yes this is a problem yes we blew it but hey why don't we put our own bounties out and try and sell more product now you probably got guys buying up cases hoping to get a duplicate superfractor making their money back so Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of conspiracy yeah they did this to move product because maybe the release didn't go as big as they wanted I, you know, it's it's hard hard to prove it, but also hard not to see why that makes sense. And I heard some chatter as well. It's kind of like the further, for lack of a better word, and this isn't a word, but gamblification of the yeah. hobby, right? And so, you know, and I'll, I'll differentiate. So I like the MVP buyback program, right? This is sure. an everyman type of thing. You know, you and I got stacks of base cards. I, I, I bought a blaster of Topps Chrome last night and I got a, you know, Otani Sepia and a Acuna base. So it's like, well, shit, I just bought the whole blaster box <laughs> right there. You know what I mean? That's cool. Um, last year, I probably made two, three hundred dollars worth of buybacks from, uh, you know, blaster boxes, you know, hobby boxes, etc. But as far as all these bounties, man, these super fractor bounties, the Drew Jones bounty, the taco right. fractor fiasco and all this other kind of stuff, it it sucks, man. Why don't you guys just make cards that are worth the prices of the box that we're paying for? That's that's more than enough to satisfy this hobby that is sustained for decades on that business model. Right. We don't need all the bells and whistles and everything else. It, it, I, I'm not I'm, I mean, I'm happy, bro. Yeah. You know, the whole mantra back uh, back at the, the Tops convention and everything was grown at 10x, right? And it, it might end up being stunts like this to get those numbers up and... You know, it's kind of sad, um, but at the end of the day, they're they're kind of in that position to control the market and you know run these things, and it's up to how people respond, whether or not they work. But you know, like I said, people are going to be chasing. Um, you know, I don't mind the idea that they're printing like a backup superfractor and putting it in a vault. Like, 
God forbid I open a pack and it's, you know, already damaged out of the pack. I like the idea that I can get a replacement, but at the same time, like, don't let that out on the market. I mean, all you have to do is put one card in, in, in circulation. Yeah, I have no doubt that, you know, multiple cards are printed in, you know, because they've got the damage card replacements. Right. There's a multitude. Maybe they have like a master set somewhere that they keep locked away for whatever the hell reason. I, I, I mean, you would assume that there's some sort of a archive, right, where they have a master set of every. I mean, that would just be right. badass. Why wouldn't they do something like right. that? Um, you know, we saw that thing. I don't know if you saw the thing on Reddit recently, and this is a different company, but with Panini, where they sent all the stuff to, uh, I think it was Jackson Merrill, mm-hmm. was it? Yep. And he basically threw all the cards in the compactor well you know cards that were numbered out of 10 there's like 20 copies of all of those right. you know what i'm saying just for damage replacement and it explicitly said that on there we sent you extras just in case we have to replace damage ones like in case you know put them in a trash compactor or something like that exactly um so you know i'm cool with all of that but again you got one job bro you got yeah. one job is to make cars and put them in packs and sell them to us and if it says there's only one i should only ever see that one ever right I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, do your job. Don't, don't overdo your job and put two of one in. I mean, that's all, that's all you got to do. It just, it just, again, you know, without, you know, being this guy for, for too long, it, it just really makes you, you know, second guess kind of a lot of things in terms of scarcity, rarity, value. Um, you know, is there, are there only 25 of these Jackson Churio, you know, is there, are there only 25 or are there, are there 29? Did they slip a couple out? Are we going to find out in three years? And 33 are floating around in boxes. And, yeah. and you have to account for all the boxes that don't get ripped, man. I mean, you yep. see these guys with walls of wax on the shelf, LCSs. I mean, this Bowman Chrome is three, $400 a box. It's not going to sell out. You could still get Bowman Chrome from 2016. The shit is still sitting there. So, oh, totally. You know, some of this stuff might not even come to the surface until later. It really makes you wonder about what you're spending your money on. So I've been chilling on wax since then, just between you and I and whoever's listening yeah. to this. So I guess maybe that might answer the next question. It looks like uh, Bum and Chrome Megas are on the way. You chasing? You going to open a few? I mean, how are you feeling about those? So ever since they put the vets in the mojo packs, you know, yeah. like they did with Bowman, uh, the mega boxes are kind of a losing bet. So, you know, I, I talk my shit or whatever, and I, I bought a lot of Bowman mega boxes. And, you know, if me and the wife go to Barnes and Noble later today and they got some there, I'm going to buy one, bro. Sure. It's it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's been rough, bro. It's been absolutely brutal. Even with, uh, you know, a Bowman mega box, you know, you got to pull Junior Caminero or somebody similar. You know, I pulled a Cam Collier numbered out of 75. He's one of the top guys in the product. It's like a $30 card. It doesn't even cover the box. The base packs are worthless. Uh, half the cards in the Mojo packs are worthless because they're inserts. Nobody wants a Mojo insert. And they're vets. Nobody wants a Mojo vet. Barely anybody wants a Mojo rookie. So you got to really, really hit big to justify a $50 retail box that really only two of the packs are worth opening. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at a stack of... 16 Bowman mega box base packs that I just don't want to open because I have enough base Bowman already. And I'm, I'm cool on that. Uh, right. Little, little stocking stuffers for, uh, for the UFIS. Uh, yeah. I throw them in, in team lots and stuff like that as, as you know, gimmies. Um, but with that said, mega boxes are a fun rip. It's about as close as you're going to get to a high value Bowman rip at retail. Right. So, you know, Bowman is, is really a hobby driven product because there are no blasters of Bowman Chrome. 
Um, so unless you want to buy the Hobby Box or the HTA, and if you really like this, you want to chase Ethan Salas or something like that, Mega Box is your only option under three hundred bucks. Right. Which you know, again, it's comparatively a better buy-in, but like you said, I mean, don't expect too much out of it. I mean, it's going to be more of a outlier that you hit something that value makes it worth that value. And but yeah, I mean, you grab an Ethan Salas mojo or something, you, you might be pretty good the first couple of days, and you know, get some of that first week magic. Yeah, you're paying 50 bucks for 10 mojo cards and four base packs that, I mean, do what you want with them. I sell them for 2 or $3 a piece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> set set builder stuff. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you'll get your 10 bucks back from your base packs and then, you know, the rest, if we're just talking about recouping box cost, which I find myself talking about a lot anymore when you're paying 30 40 $50 for a box, um, it's tough. It's a tough sell, but... Uh, again, I go back to my original point. That checklist is rough, man. Yeah. That checklist is rough. It's solace, solace, Basaya or bust, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I did get a, uh, what was it, out of 199 Brando Maya last week. And, you know, kind of excited about that one. But, you know, let's see how he does next season. It's all how much you picked that up for? 20. See, there you go. Yeah. like, And if you would have pulled that out of the mojo box, you would have been stoked. Right. I exactly. assume. Right. Yeah. I mean, you pull you pull one of the top five guys, you pull color. Right. You're like, oh, man, here we go. And not right. even just but low, relatively low numbered color. We're not talking three ninety nine, four ninety nine. And it's 20 bucks. Right. Right. Exactly. By singles. By singles. Well, exactly. You know, set set your wish list and, you know, just kind of keep on it and wait for it to come down. It'll be there. Yeah. Uh, so something else that's kind of a nice low end buy in. We're finally getting Topps Pro debut, it looks like, on the 18th of October. How do you feel about those? I love, I love Topps Pro debut. Uh, you know, I, I dump on a lot of sets between the two podcasts that I co-host. And, uh, yeah, like I, I, like I was telling Bobby, sometimes I feel like I sound like the guy that doesn't like anything. But <laughs> Topps Pro debut is one of those things that I do like. So Topps Pro debut is just like Bowman. But the cool thing is, is they got all their minor league uniforms on. So there's a lot of the fun minor league nicknames, um, you know, the different hats. I love minor league logos, and you know, team names and all that other kind of stuff. Um, great set, fun parallels. You're going to get, what, four autos in a hobby box, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Pretty pretty loaded for the price. I mean, And it's under 100 bucks. I think it might even be under 75 Yeah, depending on where you go, I think it's, you know. 69 to 89 i mean kind of in that that wheelhouse so really not bad and your big name prospects will hold some value it's not bowman level value but there is some value there particularly with your parallels and your autos and stuff like that but you know when you have these call-ups you know guys are unloading tops pro debut and, and and making some money on it so i'm all about debut big thumbs up from me yeah i mean if you pulled a corbin carroll auto last year and now you're watching him tear it up in the playoffs i mean you're sitting on a pretty good chunk of change right now for a pretty low investment. So, you know, there's there's hits to be had out there for sure. And, you know, if you don't want to play the Bowman game, it's kind of a way to go. And if you're into a guy like Jordan Walker, you know, I, I've got Yachty Molina cards from Tennessee Smokies or, you know what I mean, whatever other minor league, his double-A uniform. That's fun, bro. That's It's a, it's a part of the game. So, um, you know, Bowman, they just airbrush them into or Photoshop them into right. their MLB uniforms. Props Tops Pro Debut kind of gives you that in between. Um, fun set, man. I, I like Pro Debut. Big co-sign for me. We should definitely, definitely break some on a Discord. Maybe I'll oh, grab a couple and, and break them up. Do a little uh, little play-by-play. And yeah, exactly. See some 
pro debut and have some fun with it. Yeah, I'll break and you compensate. Hey, done. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. So this last week, uh, Minor League Baseball had its first ever official award show. You know, for years and years and years, it's always been Baseball America Player of the Years, you know, different websites, different publications. Um, But, you know, baseball as a whole entity finally thought that, hey, let's do a little more promoting of these guys before they're, you know, breaking out in the big leagues. Let's put together an award show. Um, you hear about this much at all, TJ? Yeah, some big names, some big names, and really very few, if any, surprises whatsoever. Yeah, um, you know, they showed it on MLB Network, um, just kind of like season's over. We don't have playoffs yet. Let's do it on a Monday night. So kind of a quick rundown of the big hits, um, you know, real surprising, of course, like you said. Jackson Holiday, hitter of the year. I mean, say no more. Uh, Drew Thorpe for the New York Yankees, pitcher of the year. Dude is awesome as well. Part of that, you know, trio or quad of starters they got coming along that, you know, might give the Yankee faithful some hope that they can develop again. Mm -hmm. Uh, This breakout prospect of the year, kind of under the radar, still don't know much about him, but Junior Camonero. JC. Yeah, came came from off top 100 list, honestly. Again, you know, kind of can't reiterate enough how much of a, a meteoric rise he went on. Uh, and then the defensive player of the year, Pete Crow Armstrong. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've definitely. I mean, maybe not you because your uh, your anti Cubs rhetoric wouldn't allow it, but I've definitely sung his praises as a, as a defender, center fielder. Not the best big league debut, but not a surprise that he wasn't too ready there. But he's a he's a walking highlight reel. That guy. Yeah, PCA get a co-sign for me. I think he's going to be a very serviceable major leaguer for like 10 to 12 years. And he'll probably make a few all-star games and he'll probably be just just a really solid player. There's nothing wrong with that profile whatsoever. Yeah, um, and he'll be on TikTok and Twitter with all his highlights or X mm-hmm, for, for years mm-hmm. to come. And, you know, he's going to be a fun one to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson Holiday, you know, with the caveat that, you know, he's still young and things can happen, but... Man, I don't see any problems there with 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 Holiday, bro. He looks like the truth, and yeah. uh, I'm really excited to see him come along. And it's it's I love a guy that's hyped from day one and lives up to it, and oftentimes even exceeds it, and then comes and delivers. So it'll be really exciting. Um, I think if he hits the major leagues and produces, we're gonna see a level of hype that. You know, baseball doesn't see that often about a lot of guys. He's going to be, they'll start talking about his dad. There'll be all kinds of great stuff. He's going to be super young. He looks like a 14-year-old girl. There's, you know what I mean? A lot of reasons why this is going to be a big deal. Um, I'm really excited about that. Guys, hits. All he does is hit. He just had three hits since I started this rant about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they bumped him up to AAA for the playoffs, and he's homering in the games there, and Norfolk's walking away with the AAA crown. I mean, and he's a part of it. I mean, kids... Kid's 19, and, and, you know, he's slowed down a little bit at AAA, but still contributing at a high level and just just awesome. I mean, what's not to like about the guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to watch. So, like I said, minor league season's done. Major league season's mostly done, especially for us <laughs> Cardinals and Mariners fans, you know, living in misery. 
not to mention the raids that I was pulling for and every other team I tried to piggyback on. So I'm not co-signing for any more teams. The TJ curse is too real. Yeah, no, I'm just rooting for good games or something, uh, chicken shit like that. I'm going to say impartial. Diamondbacks beat the ever-loving snot out of uh, Kershaw last night. And, you know, as an Arizona resident, I just want to say I'm not taking an official position here because – the TJ curse is too real. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you stay away. I, I want to see uh, Corbin make a run. I mean, Seattle native right there. We're all rooting for him up here, I think. It's kind of like we got our 54% you know, win rate Mariners, uh, thanks to uh, Mr. DePoto, but we're going to root for uh, Corbin Carroll for now. So, And I don't even feel comfortable talking about the teams that I don't like. Right. Because then I feel like they're going to do something as everything comes back. You know, for those who don't know, every time I put my name on something or a player, it's just I mean, it's brutal for them. I mean, they just collapse. So, I mean, you can go back. This whole season has just been a veritable waste field of just me destroying careers and dreams and card values and playoff hopes left and right. It's, oh, it's rough. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one thing I'm wondering if I got a little bit of the curse, too. All of a sudden, you know, Evan Carter's lighting it up. And we, you know, I, I wouldn't say we badmouthed him, but even in our like three team draft we did with Bobby on here, nobody took him. I mean, this guy was an industry consensus top 10 prospect. Here we are. This guy's, you know, setting playoff records, you know, running the Rangers into the next round. Somewhere we missed there. And yeah, you know, I'm just kind of going to hide every time on that one. Yeah, as you should. As you should. I'm, I'm going to do the same. That's for sure. Hey, uh, Bobby, or Philly, the uh, showrunner, I think maybe we got we got a guest getting ready to pop in here pretty soon, don't we? We do. All right, we are joined now by Dave, but to the rest of you on the internet, MPB Card Guy, um, host of one of the greatest blogs you'll find out there, full of information, full of cool cards to check out, um, you know, history about the MPB. Dave, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, thanks uh, for having me. Thanks so, so much for joining us, Dave. Yeah, we're we're excited. Um, you know, minor league season's over. We want to give uh, some insight to to other cards around the world you can collect. Uh, maybe guys you might see in the major leagues soon. So, kind of getting into it, who are the big players in the card games in Japan? Like brands, companies? Is there like a hobby store set up in Japan? How do we go about getting cards from over Japan? I, well, so so right now there's uh, pretty much four main manufacturers in Japan for cards. There's um, BBM, who I think of as the main the main outfit, and they've been doing cards since 1991. There's Calby, which does them with potato chips, and they've been doing that f- for uh, just over 50 years now. Um, Epic's been a somewhat more recent uh, addition. Um, they've been doing cards kind of off and on for the last 20 years, but they really got serious about it about you know, seven, eight years ago. And then Tops is the latest one that's joined in about three years ago. Um, as for stores, um, the main, um, card shop is called mint and they run uh, somewhere between 10 and 15, um, stores across the country, but there's a lot of smaller stores, um, uh, you know, where you can go do and get stuff at, um, that aren't affiliated with mint. I mean, some of those are like my favorite stores, you know, um, you know, quad sports in Tokyo and rappers in Tokyo, although I'm not sure rappers is even still around bits in Nagoya. Um, those are all great stores. Um, it's, it's kind of odd though, that the, most of the stores seem to be concentrated in the Tokyo area. There's very few outside of Tokyo. Interesting. Okay. 
So I'm curious, you know, we've seen the rise of it here, especially since the pandemic. Has breaking caught on much yet in Japan? Or is it still people going and buying their own packs and opening? Um, I think t- there, to some extent there is a lot. There is breaking going on. I mean, you'll see um, YouTube videos showing a guy, you know, opening a pack of the latest BBM stuff. Um, a lot of the stores actually will, some of the larger stores at least, will have tables where you can go and sit and break your stuff there. Um, I know the Twitter feed for the store Bits in Nagoya, that a lot of times he'll um, put up stuff that, you know, people have opened at the store, you know, for, you know, autograph cards or whatever, you know, big chase cards. Um to be honest, I mean, breaking is not a major thing for for me personally, so I don't I, sure. I don't know a lot. Uh, you know, I can't really say how much it's it, it's being used, or especially in comparison with the U.S. Okay. Now, I, I mostly buy, um, uh, you know, sets, complete sets that other people have put together. Okay, nice. I mean, that's that's a good way to go. You get all the good stuff then, and don't have to do the gambling of what's going to be in this box for me and what's not. So I am well, on, especially since I just can't walk into my local card shop right. and, uh, you know, pick up, pick up the singles. <laughs> exactly. So we go through this every year with tops, um, you know, release after release. Is there a definitive release or like card to have each year? You know, if you're looking at say BBM, if I'm looking for like a Kazuma Okamoto rookie card, what would you choose if you could only pick one? So, I usually get, I mean, I buy a lot of stuff, but the, the main set that I, I think of as like the set of record is BBM's um, set um, and mostly the first version set, although they have their, their flagship set essentially comes out in three parts. There's first version, there's second version, and there's fusion. Um, but uh, first version's the one. So they have the, the um, in that particular example, the Okamoto would be the one to get rather than, you know, like the Rookie Edition one. Um, t- BBM puts out a draft pick set every February uh, showing everybody who's just gotten drafted. But okay. The, car- the cards are kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. Just just to get them introduced to the fans and get their some names. To yeah. The, um, the teams hold these like introductory press conferences in like December of every year saying, oh, okay, he's... The, here's the new draft picks and the pictures of the cards on rookie edition are all these guys standing, you know, being introduced. So, you know, they're doing like, you know, a guts pose or something, but they're, they're really dull cards, but they are the first ones. Okay. All right. So do the gazing players get the same reaction in Japan as the Japanese players coming into the uh, major leagues do? Um, not really. Um, I mean, the um, the guys who go over to Japan aren't really looked at as um, they're not going to be permanent. You know, mm-hmm. they're somebody who's coming in to play a role for a year or two. I mean, there's a couple guys who get you know who are there for a long time and are, are popular, but um, for the most part, it's you know if if they do well, they're you know the fans love them, and if they don't do well, not so much, but, um, uh, I can't see that anybody is going to be interested in like, Oh, you know, um, trying to think of somebody right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, um, well, you guys brought up Latimer Ballantine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, even when Ballantine was doing really well 10 years ago, I don't think anybody was like, Oh, we got to go get a bunch of cards from him from the U S 
Gotcha. As opposed to, you know, everybody here, you know, is like, oh, I want to get Otani cards or I want to get, you know, Yoshida or whoever. Okay. Um, I did want to mention something you guys put in the thing about Ballantine, though, that um, this thing about uh, his uh, home run record being viewed as tainted. I, I don't think that's actually the case in Japan. Really? I, I think they don't really want to dwell on it. Yeah. <laughs> that he has the single season home run record, but I don't, I don't think the ball um, controversy is tainted. The thing about it is the ball was livelier in 2013 and what you guys said. Yeah. The commissioner, um, I think eventually resigned over it. He did. Yeah. But, you know, cause they, he'd hidden it, but the ball was livelier compared to the two previous years, but it was in no way a lively ball. It wasn't like a juiced era type thing. No, no, not at all. I mean, especially like 2001, there were teams who like hardly hit any home runs. Uh, Takaya Nakamura of the lions, I think out hit um, the Marines in home runs. I think he had more home runs than the entire (laughs) Marines team. Wow. So, you know, so some guys, didn't have a problem with the ball, but you know, a lot of other guys did. So um, I just don't think this is a case. And I thought it was interesting because I've, I've heard this a couple times in the United States that, Oh, you know, Japanese people, you know, view it as tainted, but I've never heard it in Japan. And I found it interesting looking at the Wikipedia page, Ballantine's English language, Wikipedia page talks about it. Mm. His Japanese language one doesn't. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, Philly, I mean, did you did you want to tell them a little bit about what you guys are talking about there with the Ballantine yeah. situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have in our notes here, basically, uh, Ballantine, you know, he was a Mariners prospect that went over to Japan. Uh, 2013, he broke the single season home run record, uh, landed with 60 throughout the year. Uh, but it kind of came out that the ball they were using was adjusted a little bit. The commissioner at the time had kept quiet on it. Everybody kept quiet. They wanted the manufacturers to keep quiet. Um, but it eventually got out and there was supposedly like, you know, a little bit of uh, humility and shame, you know, owned by the commissioner. He resigned over it. Um, so it's been kind of reported, I would say, or at least theorized, um, kind of like Dave saying that, you know, some people maybe look at it the wrong way. Some people are interpreting the events wrong. Um, it's certainly not on the level of like Sosa and Maguire and their records. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's maybe a little bit more emphasis on what's the Japanese record and Ballantine's record is also there. Well, interesting to hear that that's not is, so much the case, huh? Well, I was also going to say, I mean, you know, what's, what's funny about the whole thing is um, he wasn't even breaking a Japanese record because Sadarahu O, although born in Japan, is actually Chinese. Um, so. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting. So it was funny with, you know, you were talking about Murakami, uh, you know, in the notes, you mentioned Murakami's, you know, run at it last year. And I, and I think there was a thing that, yeah, they, they wanted to see Murakami because he is Japanese, um, pass everything. But, um, as I said, I don't, you know, Ballantine's record isn't tainted by the, uh, the, um, the ball. It's just, they don't want to, they don't really want to dwell on the fact that it was done by a foreigner. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's, it's funny, actually. Um, my, my friend Deanna Rubin, who has been to like a billion Japanese baseball games at all levels, she was telling me, I had asked her about this last week, and she was pointing out to me that the Swallows had um, 
put up some stuff at their ballpark for both Ballantine's home run, you know, um, 60th home run and Murakami's uh, 56th home run last year or 55th home run last year. And Murakami's marker is much larger than Ballantine's. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw it last year, you know, with Aaron Judge here where it's, you know, all these guys. Uh, yeah, maybe the National League, they got that record. But now it's Aaron Judge over here. So let's give him a. Let's give him the hype yeah. and, the, and the press. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I was a Yankee, so they were going to hype him anyway. Uh, it, exactly. You can't get away <laughs> well, from New York media. Speaking as a Red Sox fan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, what has been the reception so far with these Western brands coming out in Japan? Um, you know, over here, we've definitely seen a lot of like Tops and Bowman NPB cards. Are they making a dent over there at all? To be honest, I don't really think they are much. Um, the cards are kind of expensive compared to the others. Um, they they have no memorabilia cards that I've seen. Um, they have some autograph cards, but the autographs are kind of odd. They're, um, they seem to all be guys who've played in the U.S. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, you know, if you wanted to get a Murakami autograph card, you're not going to get it by pulling tops. No, um, I think the only autograph they had in this year's tops release was uh, Yoshida. So again, to your point, like guy in the major there leagues, were, there were about eight of them, I think. And and actually, I say Murakami. I mean, you know, I'm going to talk to Murakami because they had uh, always oh, screw up his name, Mashinori Murakami, the who you know was the uh, giant San Francisco Giants mm-hmm. pitcher in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they had Ichiro and Hideki Matsui and a couple other people, and they're good names, right. but I mean, they weren't current NPB players. Um, so I, the, the most interesting thing I found tops doing so far is um, they have the license for the samurai Japan cards and they've been doing them as like tops now um, yeah. online uh, cards. Um, and those have been neat. Um, they're really expensive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially when you factor in the shipping from Japan to the U.S., but at least they're willing to ship to the U.S. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm a Roki Sasaki collector, and I look at some of those and just, okay, maybe maybe some other day, because that's not <laughs> happening. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, and Topps isn't the first um, Western um, manufacturer to try in Japan. Upper Deck did... Um, like four sets over two years in like 2000, 2001. And, um, and to be honest, those sets were more attractive than anything tops has done, but they didn't uh, stick around. Okay. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Cause tops has been going pretty hard on the Japan market. It's seemingly, I, you know, here recently. I just, I, I, th- th- what they're putting out is, t- I mean, I understand the idea of doing like a tops flagship set. Um, and it's been okay, but then they do the Chrome set and, and maybe it's just me because I'm not a big parallel guy, but I'm like, okay, you've, you've got a weak regular set anyway. And now you're doing kind of an ugly parallel. Right. Version of it, you know? <laughs> um, and then they ran out Bowman last year. And the thing with Bowman is it, In the U.S., I mean, Bowman is the one where you're going to get, like, all your prospects. All the guys are playing, like, in Class A and down there and haven't had a card yet for a manufacturer, you know, for, for tops or whatever. I mean, they might have a minor league card, but, I mean, this is their their first card showing them in a major league uniform and major league, you know, everything. And 
Japan, MPB does not have that level of miners. I mean, mm. every team has one farm team. Um, I mean, I can go into roster structure and everything and probably bore the bore the the legs off you but um <laughs> no we love it i mean honestly we're we're so, so new to this league that you know every every little bit of information helps us all right so so basically every team has a 70-man roster and it's like 25-ish of those guys are on the major league team you know it's known as ichigun which literally is first troop. and then everybody else is on the farm team or the nigun second troop team now, some there, there's another whole thing about development players, um, but I won't get into that right now. But anyway, um, there's two minor leagues, and they have an odd number of teams. Um, so, and I'm getting way too in the weeds here, but I mean, so there's basically 40 guys on your farm team, and your team's not being able to play every day because each league doesn't have an even number of teams. So guys don't get a chance to play a whole lot, you know, on the farm or some guys don't get a chance to play a whole lot on the farm. But anyway, um, BBM every year issues a full team set for each of the 12 teams. So all the 70 man, you know, all the guys on the 70 man roster are in that set. Wow. Plus they said BBM issues a rookie edition set every year that has all the guys who've been drafted because the draft only goes, you know, five or six rounds. Okay. Um, and then all these development players who get drafted, they're in these sets too. So all of these guys already have cards. Hmm. So I don't see the point of a Bowman set for tops. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not the first card of any of these guys. <laughs> right. And we sense. were talking about that a little bit ago, how, uh, the Bowman Chrome mega boxes are coming out in a week or two. And the idea is now there's stuff in them full of veterans and it's just, well, what's the point of buying them? I mean, you buy Bowman for the first, for the rookie. I mean, for the right, right, for the signatures. So, what's what's the value here? I I've been saying since Tops first announced, you know, two years ago that they were going to do a, um, you know, that they had an MBB license. That the thing they need to be doing in Japan is like an archives or heritage set. Mm. Take like the old um, Tops designs and do put mpb guys in those either current players or retired players i mean because you know it'd be really cool to have like a rookie sasaki card using a 1975 tops um design oh yeah mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and they've done a little bit of that with some inserts for their regular set they did like 1986 one year 1970 uh, sorry 1958 last year and i think this year was 2001 yeah which i mean they're good looking cards but i mean yeah their inserts you know yeah but it'd be cool to have a, an actual set of it you know yeah. like as i said like an archive set that would be fun actually so um if if unless they do something like that i don't see them really and in, and in increase what they're doing for um autographs and memorabilia cards i just don't see them really making a big impact yeah i mean it's a familiar brand it seems to you know western card buyers which i guess is maybe you know, a little bit of the crossover they're hoping for. And, you know, guys like me see, oh, Tops Rookie Sasaki. Oh, it's his first Tops card. But, you know, I'd rather have the BBM when I look at it all. And that's the yeah. actual rookie year in 2020, not the 2021 release. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. So I heard you talk about Calby cards and that they come from a chip manufacturer, something like So does something like this scare away the serious collectors that may not want to grade their cards or sell them for top dollar? What's the relationship yeah. there? 
I don't think it scares them away at all. I mean, Calvi's a little bit odd that they've never really gone in for um, memorabilia or autograph cards. Um, the the big um, chase, I guess, on them is they have these insert cards called Star, and there's a parallel of them that have autographs, you know, have um, a facsimile autograph on them. Um, but, I mean, Calvi's been doing it forever, um, you know, since, since the 70s. Um, and for a lot of the older stuff, I mean, it was the only, you know, big manufacturer at all. I mean, they did some sets in the 70s that were huge, like 1,400 cards. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, a friend of mine, my friend Sean, is trying to complete that, that particular set, which I, yeah, he lives in Nagoya. So, I mean, he can, again, he can walk into a shop and get them. Uh, I just think that's insane, but that's, you know, that's, a, that's doing some good work right there. If you can complete that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I don't think anyone shies away from them. They're just, it's a smaller set. It's, um, they're kind of iffy on the rookies. Like, as I said, BBM's got a card of everybody who's the new rookie and Calby. It's like, yeah, maybe three or four guys a year that they'll have an actual guy of the rookie year. Um, but um, I, I still think they're fairly popular. Just to kind of follow up on that, is is grading cards very popular with the Japanese market at all, or is it so-so? I Again, it's something that I, I don't pay a lot of attention to because it's not something I'm, I'm particularly interested in, but it seems to have been picking up some over the last like five years or okay. so. Um, I think PSA is actually got something in japan now I, I could be wrong on it um i kind of laugh when i see stuff that is graded here that's mislabeled or oh yeah <laughs> by psa i mean i there were a couple uh a couple cards i saw a few years ago that were identified as being um shigeo nagashima who's a famous player from the yomiri giants but both the cards were chinichi dragons players no. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of at the mercy of the guy doing the research on the card at, at that right, right, right. And say, yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. In fairness, on one of those, it was mislabeled in um, in the um, Gary Engel is the guy who um, puts out a card checklist every few years for uh, the old Japanese stuff, and he had it mislabeled in his book. Gotcha. So, oh, okay. But it's one of those things that if you knew anything, it's like. Okay, I know Gary says this is Shigeo Nagashima, but it's not Shigeo. It's yeah, so it's the, the blind kind of leading the blind on that one, falling a mistake, and it happens. TJ, all right. So uh, with these American releases, we talk about tops a lot. You know, autographs are all over the place. Everybody, you know, me and Philly have an autograph coming up in the next set. Um, is that something the Japanese card market might move towards, or the foil signatures kind of remain the the main thing there? Oh no, they they are completely there. <laughs> I mean, there are autograph cards available in pretty much every release of anything. And in fact, um, so a lot of times they'll put out um, um, a set of retired players. You know, um, it's retired players are re- generally referred to as OB. You know, old boys. Um, so they'll put out an OB set for like, say, the Omiri Giants. You know, and um, you know, it'll, it'll be titled something like, I mean, they did this a couple of years ago. They had a Giants history, 1934 to, um, you know, 2020. Oh, wow. And so, but the thing about it is if you look at the players in the set, I mean, there are a lot of like 
famous giants stars from the 30s 40s and 50s but none of them are around to sign autographs so there's only like two of them in the set and the bulk of the rest of the players in the sets are guys who played in like the 60s and 70s and 80s and you know and beyond who can sign an autograph so almost every one of the players who's in the set there's an equivalent you know there there's a corresponding autograph card to the guy available that's awesome and it's it it is cool <laughs> but it's also frustrating sometimes where i'm like you know i really like another you know you know, uh, especially the, the BBM's done several of these um, history team history sets that have this really nice design, and they've done a really good job getting good photos of it and everything. And it's like, hey, you know, it'd really be cool to see like Noburo Aota in this set, but yeah, he's been dead for like forty years, so they're not going to have him in there. That's kind of tough to come by, then. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough pool. So as far as the autographs now, is that something that's just like an insane price to try and get a hold of the modern stars or pretty affordable or? Uh, it depends on what your view of affordable is. I mean, I'm, I'm cheap. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're, they're, they tend to be more out of my price range. Yeah. Um, the, the, depending on the players, I mean, you get into the stars, they're probably in the hundreds of dollars. Okay. Um, I've managed to pick up some, you know, cheap, but usually they're like utility players or, you know, gotcha. Um, so guys way past their time. Yeah. So over here, obviously, you know, we collect the guys we know that come over from Japan, Shohei, Ichiro, Nomo. Is there a guy maybe like for more of like the Japanese card um, connoisseur that has like that chase value that everybody's really after, like Sadoharu O, for example, or are there some other names? Uh yeah, oh, it was popular, but um, I think one of the things that surprised me the most when I started getting into Japanese baseball was that the O is not the most popular player in Japan. Um, it's a guy named Shigeo Nagashima who played for the Giants for you know fifteen years, and it's just um, he was a really good player and very charismatic, and um, also happened to be full blooded Japanese. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which which certainly helped at the time. Um, and uh, he's the most popular player. Um, and he's still I mean, he had a stroke about 20 years ago, but he still signs autographs um, on uh, for cards and stuff. Um, it's pretty much like um, every OB set that I see, like especially if it's Giants. I mean, I shouldn't say every, but a lot of the OB sets and I get Shima's in it. OK, Um there's other players who are popular um, that people, you know, go after the cards a lot, although uh, probably not as prolific as Nagashima. Uh, Masayuchi Kaneda, who won 400 games, was pretty popular, although he, I think he only had like um, an authentic autograph card in like one set. Oh, wow. Um, pretty hard to He passed away a few years ago. Um, Yutaka Anatsu, um, big pitcher for the, uh, the Tigers and the Hawks, and uh, fascinating guy actually um he's pretty popular um yeah i'm kind of spacing whoever else but i mean a lot of the big stars um you know uh sakio kinagasa who um had broken lou gehrig's consecutive game streak um koji yamamoto played for the cart for years i mean there's i could just list a whole bunch of stars but i mean they're they're all popular and people want to get their cards gotcha Awesome. So you did a really nice job of kind of breaking down how the minor leagues and development system in Japanese baseball is different 
A lot of these guys get drafted, become part of the big roster or the development team. Uh, they're partnering with the parent club. Is there a lot of hype around these guys? So, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the big things in Japanese baseball in general is the, um, the high school baseball tournament that takes place every uh, August um, at Koshien Stadium um, in, uh, in Shinomiya uh, over by Osaka. And um, the tournament is incredibly popular. And a lot of the guys who do well in that end up then, you know, going to MPB and their notoriety from Koshian follows them so mm. that if they were a big star at Koshian, they end up having, you know, people are very interested in getting their cards. I mean, Daisuke Matsuzaka uh, is a huge name from that. I mean, um, uh, I think can't remember if Sasaki pitched in Koshian or not. I mean, Sasaki was well known as a high school pitcher and uh, his coach got some, uh, you know, uh, controversy because he wouldn't let Sasaki, he actually put pitch limits on Sasaki, hmm. which a lot of guys at Koshian never had a pitch limit, which is also why a, a lot of the guys who were extremely popular uh, coming out of Koshian didn't have um, uh, really good careers. <laughs> Burn out the arms. Yeah. So um, the, the one example I always point to is a guy named uh, Yuki Saito, who um, he led his team to uh, the championship in the 2006 um, uh, tournament and uh, pitched like every inning for the team through the whole thing, including the last game. Well, the, the championship game ended up going like 15 innings and ending in a tie. It was him and Masahiro Tanaka, actually, of all people, uh, matching up. And so they went the next day, they, they basically started the game again the next day um, from, from innings one, and he pitched it again, and Tanaka ended up pitching in it again, um, and he won the game, and everybody just loved the guy. And he had this, like, blue handkerchief that he used to wipe his face, and he was the handkerchief print, uh, prince. Um, Tanaka then got drafted, was a highly touted draft pick going to the, to the, uh, records and Eagles and, and you know, his story. Um, but Saito went to college, uh, spent four years in college and was popular enough. I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that because Saito was in college, BBM started doing college sets. Oh, so, um, Although it's funny, Saito's first card ever was an upper deck issue from uh, from the U.S. There was a Team USA set in like 2008 that had uh, memorabilia cards for the 2007 uh, Japanese Collegiate All Star set, and Saito's in that set. Oh, that's interesting. Cool track down, yeah. That's, yeah, it's kind of random, almost, isn't it? But yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah, but um, so Saito ended up being drafted by the Fighters in uh, 2010. And again, you know, there are a lot of things that BBM and other companies did putting out cards for him like his first year. Um, but he never really panned out. Um, he, but he got a 10-year NPB career out of it. Um, he just retired last year. Still not bad, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Um, uh, but I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing. I mean, there's other guys, not quite maybe as extreme as Saito, but, um, there's other guys who it's like, oh, you know, I need to get his cards cause he did pitch played really well at, um, at Koshian. Okay. Interesting. So 
with the growth of the game, you know, internationally with the World Baseball Classic and guys that have come stateside, um, has it had a big effect on like the market in Japan? Um, I I know, like we were saying, like the t- 2001 Tops Roki Sasaki insert costs an arm and a leg. Is it a little more reasonable over there, or are you seeing the prices go up for Japan purchases? Um, depends on the player. Um, I mean, there's the always think of as a thing of like potential energy, you know, of, you know, the Sasaki, Yamamoto, um, Murakami, you know, their prices might be a little more inflated right now because there's the thought they're going to go to the U S but I, I I don't know that like, if you go on Yahoo Japan auctions that you're going to like, Oh, every, every Yamamoto and every Sasaki card is ridiculously expensive. Right. Um, now Otani will be, yeah, (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, when you say that the Sasaki is going to cost you an arm or leg, is that like just getting it off of eBay or COMC? Yeah, exactly. ComC and eBay both. I mean, you know, kind of been watching the, the gold 2020 or 2001 insert and, you know, you're talking 200, you know, us dollars for just getting it over here with the shipping included, you know, for a cool card, but. Nothing incredibly special about it. Yeah. Well, what I would recommend, I mean, my, my recommendation to everybody who's trying to get Japanese cards is to use a um, a proxy bidding company and try to get stuff on uh, Yahoo Japan Auctions or Mercari. Okay. Um, mm. Because then you can use somebody like Zen Market who's going to charge you, you know, 300 yen for whatever you buy. Um and then you know the and, and you know you pay for the auction price and the shipping to wherever they are there in Osaka, and then you'll pay them to ship it to you. So I just picked up um, the I, I was talking about these OB uh, line, uh, team sets that um, BBM's been doing these history sets. Um, they just put out one for the Cebu Lions. And I picked that up for like 1,500 yen on Yahoo Japan auctions plus the 300 yen to Zen Market, and they're shipping it to me. Um, that's actually the most expensive part of it because that's like $28 right. for them to ship it to me. But, um, but I mean, that's for a complete set. Now, if, if you're buying one card, I mean, it's not going to cost you quite that much for the shipping. But, and, and you might save. Yeah, you might get the card at a cheaper price on Yahoo Japan auctions, so you're saving whatever the having to pay for shipping twice, essentially, because you're going to pay for shipping to Zen Market and then shipping here. Okay, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. Yeah, right. I, I'd love to cut the uh, the eBay part out of it when hunting those down because they yeah. they add up and well, yeah, I mean, way. you know, and just as somebody who doesn't really get into that too much, if I buy a card on eBay from a seller in Japan, I'm paying upwards of $18 shipping for a single card. Some of those shipping prices are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bananas. I, well, I'm, I'm, well, I mean, some of the prices that people are asking for cards on eBay for Japanese cards are just insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen people ask, you know, hundred dollars for Calbee cards from the eighties. And I'm like, these should be, you know, maybe at most $10. I mean, um, and, and one of the things I've seen is guys putting stuff up on eBay that are being sold on Yahoo Japan auctions. So it's basically 
they're waiting to see if somebody buys it on eBay for a higher price and then they're going to go buy it on Yahoo Japan auctions. Interesting. Um, the one I saw was there's a, there's a, um, there's a Roki Sasaki card from, uh, from 2020 that was done by Epic and it's serially numbered. And I saw somebody selling it for like $600 or something on eBay. And I saw it on Yahoo Japan auctions for like $300. And I realized it was the same card. It was the same because they showed what the serial number of the card was. And it was the exact same card. She's trying to, trying to see if somebody will fall for the high price and yep. Yep, have their cake and eat it too. Ugh. Yep. It's good to know about that, you know, that extra avenue, that extra marketplace, because, you know, the vast majority of us is eBay or bust, right, when it comes to a lot of this kind of stuff. So thank you for that. Just just to send traffic to my blog, I've got a, uh, there's a page on my blog about where to get Japanese cards. And that's like the top thing was, you know, use, you know, buy it in Japan and use a proxy company. I mean, there's a number of them. Zen Market's the one I've been using lately. Um, but yeah, use a proxy company to get the stuff shipped to you. We'll definitely throw a link to that up in the show notes, right? In the pod description, Philly. Absolutely. Yeah. Dave, um, as we wrap up here, you want to tell us where we can find your work and maybe how to get a hold of you. If you have any questions about Japanese baseball cards, plug all Um, over Dave. (laughs) Yeah. The, the obvious spot is the blog, which is unimaginably called, uh, Japanese baseball cards.blogspot.com. Um, (laughs) I've, I'm thinking for I've been doing this blog for like 17 years. I'm keep thinking it's like I should have come up with a better name. But um, my friend Dan, who um, is in Korea, his is called Korean Cardboard because he talks about Korean baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was a great name. <laughs> Simple to yeah, the I mean, point. 17 direct. years in, though, you can't rebrand now. I mean, we all know no, who no, you are and where to find you. Yeah. But um, yeah, so um, so I'm there. I'm on Twitter um, at least for now. Um, I'm on Spoutable, all as MPB card guy. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like a fact on the, um, uh, on the blog that, um, you know, has my email address. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer people's questions. Um, at least it's right now when I'm only get a trickle of questions, <laughs> you know, if you guys, uh, you know, get me super popular, it might be a little harder. Yeah, I mean, everything you put up there is incredibly informative. And, you know, I've been learning a lot from it. And, you know, still like leaps and bounds, tons of stuff to learn. So I mean, I really encourage our listeners out there, check it out. Um, You know, the artwork on the cards, too, is something that, you know, I think we could use a little improvement on here, too, in the States and some of our releases. I mean, you kind of talk about the top stuff, and it's, it's okay. But some of those BBM designs are just unreal. I, a lot, I mean, my, my biggest gripe right now, um, I mean, I, I got into Japanese cards about 20 something years ago and I really liked like the photos BBM was using at the time on their cards. I mean, they were just interesting. And then they went through a stretch where every car, every set, it's like all the cards were, okay, the batters are batting, the pitchers are pitching, the catchers are catching, you know? And it's like, oh, this is so monotonous. And there were times <laughs> where it was like, I can tell that the photographer was sitting right here and he took picture of like five right-handed batters in a row. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like, Oh, come on guys. Um, and BBM's gotten a little better about it. The last few years, they've gotten some better cards. calby has been horrible about it. <laughs> Epic's not great. Um, tops. The be- the, I, I actually think the best thing that tops has going for it is the, um, 
they've had decent um, photos. Um, although I don't like the like photo processing they do on their cards, but yeah, know, that's just me. I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, again, check them out out there. Uh, JapaneseCards.blogspot.com. Japanese, base, JapaneseBaseballCards.blogspot.com. Perfect. Or just search Japanese baseball cards and you'll find me like pretty quick. I think that's how I found you. Just just go into Google and you're the first thing that came up. Well, I know just even in our little you know Discord, our little uh, corner of the community, there's a pretty large... Japanese baseball, Japanese baseball card contingent, you know, guys that are really focused on that. I mean, I've got one of our guys, my main man, SSK, he exclusively collects Japanese baseball players. Now the majority of them, you know, tops and things like that, but you know, all the NBP stuff and all that, that's like grail level stuff to an American collector that, you know, seeks Japanese baseball cards. So all this information is really, really uh, really awesome for a lot of guys that you know are directly impacted by that. So we appreciate you coming on and and sharing some of that with us because this is something that I know next to nothing about, and now I'm I'm super interested in a lot of this. So this is uh this is cool. Thanks so much, Dave. We appreciate you. Hate is mine, and I gotta fight a day and night. One of us has to the line. Love the only weapon. All right, that was Big Sleep from Reagan Era Rejects coming out on their new EP, Destroyer, in November uh, from Mutant Sound Records. You're going to find them on Spotify, but a big shout-out to our guy Alex over on the Discord for uh, sharing his music with us. Hope you guys enjoyed it. All right, welcome back. We are joined once again on Tool Time by award-winning writer and podcaster Lindsay Crosby from Locked On MLB Prospects. Uh, Lindsay, we got, got such a great response from your visit last time. We thought we'd reach out again and Lo and behold, here you are, my man. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to get a chance to talk ball with other prospectors and 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 just kind of celebrate how great some of these players really are. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the minor league season may be over, but, you know, still kind of relishing on some of the memories this year, some of the guys we've watched. And, you know, I know for us, the card game doesn't stop. So we're always looking for that little inside edge and who's next, who's after that. Yeah, it's, it's like... <clears throat> that's a thing that really kind of sustains us in the off season is okay. Like here's what guys did to end their season last year, or here's like, here's some things. Can we fix these couple small changes? And once we do that, these guys are going to take off. And so that's a big focus 
right here at the end of the season is let's step back, look at these guys full seasons, but then let's break them down and kind of look at small little subsets and say, okay, like did this person at the end of the season, did they show improvement on that thing that they were struggling with? Cause if they did, that's obviously an indicator that going forward, they could take off next year. And that's, right. that's kind of, if you're looking at the hobby as kind of like an investment thing, that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for who are the guys that are going to explode. You know, if you had known maybe a month ago that some of these AFL guys were going to do what they had done in the first week, that's an opportunity to say, Hey, maybe I, you know, make a point to list that card a little bit higher, or I go grab some shares of this guy before exactly. he blows up in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some some pretty good performances, you know, right out of the gate there. Um, I don't know if anybody's listening out there and had the chance to pull up the streams on uh, the website, but, you know, definitely a fun watch, you know, especially if you're uh, feeling a little bitter and your team got bounced out of the playoffs, you know, good alternatives, still watching baseball. But I want to focus a little bit right off the bat on a guy that's still in it and making some big waves, and that's Evan Carter. Um, so with Carter... You know, we slept on him a little bit on our pod. Um, didn't necessarily have anything bad to say, but just kind of flew under our radar a little bit, despite that top 10 pedigree. Is this what everybody was thinking would happen? You know, kind of what everybody was dreaming on with the tools? Is this like the ceiling or is there a next level even beyond this, you think? So I think that part of the issue, I say issue, part of the reason a lot of people looked at Evan Carter the way they did is he was seen as a guy that had really good plate discipline, right? Like they, they call him full count Carter for a reason. Uh, he had really good plate discipline. He had really good defense, but there's been this lingering question now for longer than you usually see about what kind of impact he can have hitting the ball as far as a power perspective. Mm. And so there's this natural kind of reaction. Everybody does it. I've done it before too, where you see a defensively inclined outfielder with good contact, but no power. And you kind of, downgrade them in your mind a bit. I mean, I had Evan Carter. I, I, I have Evan Carter in our show's dynasty league. And I was shopping him for trades in like <laughs> July because I was like, I'm just, I'm convinced the power is never going to come. And then right. he gets to the major leagues and he finishes. It's an incredibly small sample, 62 at bats, but he finishes five home runs and a 645 slug. And then he goes into the postseason and promptly goes insane. in like every single facet of the game, he's, He's something like he's like four for six through the first three games of the postseason with a home run and four extra base hits. And so like this is this is who he's always been capable of being. I just don't know if we necessarily expected him to do this because yeah. we've been blinded by the lack of power in the profile for longer than you typically see a top prospect who's trying to develop that power. It just it took longer to come in than we expected. And part of that's been health for him, too. Sure. So, I mean, is this a guy you think next year could have kind of one of those Corbin Carroll-esque runs, you know, as a as full rookie season where it could be an all-star, could be a rookie of the year candidate? I mean, talking about a big year next year, you think? I think that he he is looking at a rookie of the year candidacy type of season simply because it's obvious he's come up and he's acclimated very well. Now, he is going to have that that scenario where they're initially going to figure out how to attack him and he's going to struggle and have to adjust to that. But... It's gonna. It's something where kind of like Josh Young, where Josh Young was a little bit, uh, I must say, downgraded, but a little bit underrated as well because he had dealt with some injury issues. And while he had the injury issues, it kept him from being his hitting his top potential on defense and things like that. And I think it's gonna be the second straight year that you see the Rangers with a probably top three vote getter and rookie of the year for Evan Carter. 
and then thinking about, okay, now you're going to have this and you're also going to have Wyatt Langford on the way up. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, this Rangers team is like, holy cow, they, they have a lot of talent coming up and a lot of long-term contractual control for guys. It kind of makes you feel like all of like this team in general is on the trend up provided they can get the arms to match the bats. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If, if Scherzer can, you know, come back, contribute positively, maybe they go out and get an arm in free agency. I mean, you know, as a Mariners fan, I'm a, I'm a little worried about Texas and Houston because they always find a way as well. So it's not going to get any easier next year. I mean, that is, that's going to end up being one of the more competitive divisions, kind of like how the National League East is super competitive. I mean, they had three playoff teams this year or how the American League East for the longest time, every team in the American League East could have been winning the American League Central. And right. instead they were, you know, fourth place or whatever in the East. It's going to be like the West is going to be like that for the, the next immediate future because the Mariners have such good young pitching. Some of the few problem issues they have on the field, they've got top prospects on the way. I think Ryan Bliss is going to surprise a lot of people at second yeah. base next year. Um, so, you know, so like, and then obviously that staff is so young and so good. And then you've got the veterans in there too, like a Luis Castillo. So it's going to be a really tough division. And I'm sure all three of those teams are happy that they expanded the postseason simply because yeah. that's the only way you're going to get three teams in the postseason is the fact that you expanded it. And it's going to be a battle for that final spot for probably oh. a couple of years going forward. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch, but it's not going to be a cakewalk for anybody. No. So another guy is kind of catching a lot of people's attention. And, you know, maybe this started back when we saw his dad crying during his debut. Um, Orion Kirkring, you know, just checking eBay the other day, we saw his Panini Prism cards. They're skyrocketing. Um, he doesn't have any Bowman yet. So, you know, if you want an Orion Kirkring card, you're looking at, you know, $80, $90 for an auto. Uh, definitely cheaper for just a base. But when you watch a guy like him, is this somebody we're looking at as one of the next great closers in the majors or, you know, even like a Craig Kimbrell-esque career? Or are we just kind of fascinated so far with the stuff, the name, the narrative, and, you know, kind of the viral highlights? I mean, it's a good narrative, right? As, as far as a guy coming out of University of South Florida and starting off the year in Clearwater and ended up in the postseason taking eight pitches to mow through the Braves lineup for an inning. But... Like talking to some of the folks in the Phillies organization, I was talking to Travis Herger, the minor league pitching coordinator. They're super high on everything about him, not just the stuff, which is amazing and unique. And for those of you who haven't seen Orion Kirkering, he's got a fastball that he can run up to almost 100. And then he has quite literally a unique sweeper. It has the, the more horizontal movement than just about any sweeper in Major League Baseball but it's also harder than almost any slider in Major League Baseball. He throws this sweeper at 88 miles an hour. Most, 80, most upper 80s sliders are more of a conventional vertical break slider. And then most sweepers you know, are 82, 83, maybe 84. But he throws it, it's as hard as a conventional slider, but he gets more horizontal break than anybody else's sweeper. It's a unique pitch, and he controls it really, really well. So the stuff is really good. The makeup is really good. They are high on Orion Kirkering. And internally, their thought process is he can absolutely be like one of the next great closers in baseball. They're working on giving him some other, like polishing some of his tertiary pitch options if he has to go to a third pitch. Uh, I think a guy like that, something like a, like a split change would work really well. Simply just movement profile and things like that. But either way, they're super high on Orion Kirkering. And so... If he gets a card out, like if he gets a Bowman card, 
I'd jump all over that because he literally could be the next big uh, relief pitcher in Major League Baseball, especially when you look at uh, how good the Phillies have been as far as getting guys in that pin who can perform really well, who can throw really well and putting them in good situations to be productive big leaguers. They've fixed a bunch of guys in that pin. Absolutely. Kirkland could be the next great one. Yeah, I mean, I'm still sitting on a Mariano Rivera from back in 92. You know, <laughs> I've got the, the Edwin Diaz first one. I mean, you know, it may not fetch as much as some of the bats, but, you know, those first guys, first cards for those guys that are, you know, big time. I mean, they're worth something and they're fun to have too. So definitely look into it in the next couple of checklists. Um, one thing I was excited to see this year because I think Major League Baseball needs to grow the minor league aspect more and more every year. What do you think of the uh, MILB year-end awards? I liked having the show. I think that they need more recognition as far as uh, on the mothership on MLB Network, as far as on television, things like that. More so than just you get to watch seven innings of a futures game. So I, right. I, I love doing the show and I love the fact that it kind of fell on a night when there wasn't any other baseball on. So like this mm-hmm. was the baseball content that you got. Uh, it's also kind of hard to, it's hard to argue with any of the picks, right? Like hitting prospect of the year, Jackson holiday. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 323, 442, 499 started off at single a finished in triple a at age 19. Yeah. That, that makes total mm, sense. Yeah. Jackson, that makes sense for him. Drew Thorpe led all of baseball in strikeouts. Like, okay. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Um, breakout player of the year. Oh yeah. I mean, just a guy we love on the show, Junior Camonero. I mean, you may have heard of him once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's every time I talk to a prospect that spent time in the Southern league or in high A this year, and I'm like, who's the hardest player that you faced drop of a hat, Jun- Junior Camonero. He never chases. He barrels up anything that he swings at and he can take anything opposite field. Like there's just no way to really get him out unless you get lucky. So Makes total sense. He's a he's a top ten prospect now, and he just turned twenty years old. And he held his own in Major League Baseball at the end of the year, playing both third base and shortstop. It makes total sense. Right. Ethan Salas, same like age seventeen in Double A. Come on, there, there's there's yeah. no Robbie Snelling had an amazing debut. This is maybe the only one that you could have argued with, but even then, it's how many how many seventeen year olds can go to Double A and even hit their their weight? Never mind, do well. So it's. I loved having the show. I wish it could have been some sort of in-person thing with a lot yeah. of players who were there and things like that, make it into like an event event. But I understand how the timing doesn't always work out because there's guys going to Arizona or there's, you know, some of these guys have been done with their seasons for two or three weeks. It's kind of hard to get them all back together for something. Right. I get it. But I think that's the only change you could make would be to find a way to get them all together. Other than that, I love the fact they had the show. I love the fact it was available on television and not just streaming. So right. great decision all the way around. Let's keep doing things like this, Major League Baseball. Yeah, that was my one big complaint. You know, I got to attend the draft this year and, you know, my biggest kind of regret was they didn't have more players in person. Um, you know, these are opportunities definitely to get, you know, more guys in the national spotlight, get them introduced to a younger age. I mean, and, and, on that note, I'm still of the opinion that we need to move the draft back to where it was versus being an all-star weekend because, one, I understand they want to do like an in-person thing. You lose so much attention because it's in the middle of the all-star break with the mm-hmm. home run derby and the all-star game and all that extra stuff. But also, like my proposal is move it back to like around the College World Series and put it in Omaha so that... All of the players who were there in Omaha, a lot of those guys end up getting drafted, whether it's day two, day three, whatever, or it, as we saw this time, 
the top three picks were all right. playing. Yeah, like we're all playing in Omaha. Put it in Omaha so all those players can be there. Bring in all the other first rounders and and let's do it in person like that for day one. Give them their own time that's separate. And then also MLB teams would like it to be earlier so that they it's not all condensed in with the scouting they have to do for the trade deadline and everything else. Right. July ends up being super busy in an MLB front office because you've got the draft, you've got the trade deadline, all that together. So move it back, give them their own thing. No, I agree. I mean, how how perfect would it have been, you know, World Series weekend to get Paul Skeens on there with Livy Dunn and, you know, there's there's your headshots right there for the for the front page and everything. Um, yeah. you know, keep keep growing the game, keep growing the minors. Why not? The technology's there these days. Um, so shifting over to the Fall League, uh, we touched on it a little bit last episode, uh, but who are some guys, whether they're top prospects or even under the radar guys, that could push their way into the big league conversation with a nice fall, um, you know, maybe kind of Matt Mervis style? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of attention been paid to some of the hitters and some of the big hitters, and everybody always kind of writes off the pitching in the Arizona Fall League, but there's some really good pitchers in the fall league this year and specifically a lot of guys that it feels like they're coming back from, from injury or things like that. Christian McGowan of the Phillies is a guy that's really intriguing to me. 2021 seventh rounder out of a junior college and had Tommy John surgery. So he missed some time came back in like mid July. The stats aren't necessarily great, right? Cause he's coming back from Tommy John, Sure, but he's throwing Fastball in the mid-90s. He throws two different sliders, which is something I've talked Mm. about a lot on my show. He has both a gyro slider and a sweeper, right? So he has a vertical breaking weapon. He has a horizontal breaking weapon. And he can use them really well as far as he likes to go to the gyro early in the count when you're trying to sit fastball. And then he can get you to chase late in the at-bat on a sweeper, things like that. Gets tons of grounders. Throws a two-seamer, has a change-up that runs in. And so... A guy that the stats don't look great on him, but they're super high on him. And he has the ability provided that uh, he is fully healthy and, and is getting that feel back to be somebody that kind of explodes in Philadelphia system. We talked about them earlier with the Ryan Kirkering. They've done a really good job of pitching development these last couple seasons. And you're starting to see all these guys get closer and closer or in Orion's case, get to the major league level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Another, just because I, I want to kind of talk about the pitchers too, Zach Maxwell of the Reds. I think Baseball America talked about him in one of their articles. But uh, absolutely massive guy. Another one who's going to be a fantastic reliever. 6'6", 275. Ooh, throws a yeah, massive, intimidating presence. But he throws like 99 miles an hour. It's one of the better fastballs in all of the minors. And it's not just from like a, the velocity is really good. But he's got... So much induced vertical break. It's something something like 19, 20 inches. It's kind of on the same lines as like how well Spencer Strider's fastball does at the major league level. Like it's it's a fantastic outlier pitch. And then he combines that with a slider, more of a conventional slider in the upper 80s. Uh, both of them get really good swing and miss rates. He can throw them both for strikes. And it's been something where he's never been fully healthy and he's never been able to really land them for strikes until just recently. And so in the AFL, if he can show, no, this absolutely can work and I can do this, he's a guy that's also going to explode into uh, top list, probably be called up and be another guy that's working really well out of the pen simply because he's got all these amazing tools. And then 
obviously every team in this, it feels like is just stacked with hitters oh, all yeah. over in this Arizona fall league. There's it's a great crop of hitters this year. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing, you know, the reds needed um, more pitching. So that's pretty exciting with Maxwell. Um, you know, it doesn't solve some of their starter issues, but maybe some of those guys come back around, but you know, if you get that eighth and ninth on lockdown, that's shortening the game already. So exciting stuff there. Combine Maxwell with a guy like a Diaz. And it's oh. something where all of a sudden you can use some of your other relievers in earlier situations. You don't have to have a guy that has to go six or seven because exactly. you can hand it off to a really good, you know, to three good relievers to bridge you through, to get you out of the game. And so it does having a great bullpen can offset having some length from your starters. And obviously they're still working on that, right? They're still working on these starters. We've seen them bring up Abbott. We've seen them bring up a lot of really good arms, but this will also help as far as uh, giving them other options and not having to ask so much or push those pitchers so hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen they have guys with stuff. It's just a matter of, you know, getting that second time, third time through the lineup that they're not quite there yet. And then the other thing that I'm looking for to in the AFL, and this kind of comes back to a, to a, a hitter, but looking for guys that have outlier traits and seeing if, if they can improve. So back to the Evan Carter conversation, that was something where really good chase rate, good contact ability didn't quite have the power we were looking for. And when you take that profile, I'm of the opinion that you can build power better than you can build contact ability, right? Like hitters are born, not made, but you can make a guy hit the, hit the ball harder. And so like Caleb Durbin of the Yankees, it's a guy batted 304 in double a this year. So like contact ability is obviously there contact rate is like 88%. Hmm. And so that's the type of player that if you can add a couple points into the slugging, as far as, you know, strength gains, optimizing the quality of that contact, then all of a sudden that's a player who can take a leap into just a guy to a dude. And when you look at the rest of the guys who have amazing contact ability in the AFL, a lot of these other guys are top prospects. Jacob Marcy of the Padres, Chase DeLauder of the, Guardians right. like James Triantos of the Cubs. It's a lot of really good prospects. And then Caleb Durbin. And it's like, okay, so there's a really easy, I say simple fix, but there's a rather straightforward fix that this guy could take off if he can just make a little bit better quality of contact because he's already making an exceptional amount of contact. Right. The pathway is there. He's just got to kind of translate it to the next level. Exactly. So one team that caught my attention with the guys they sent. Um, the Tigers, you know, this year they sent amongst others, Jace Young, Jackson Job. Um, they sent Big B, Flores, along with the core they're building, guys like Max Clark. Are we looking at a team that could uh, be making some noise next season, kind of like the Reds did this last year? Yeah, something that I've been really impressed with is how well the Tigers have been able to develop hitters. And it's something everybody like when I say that people look at me weird because Riley Green struggled at the major league level when he got called up. Uh, you know, like everybody that they've called up so far has struggled, but they yeah. revamped some of their player development. And so you look at now they've got Justin Henry Malloy, who they got from the Braves in a the trade. They've got Colt Keith. They've got these these young hitters. They drafted Kevin McGonigal, who was yeah. one of the better prep contact ability guys in the entire draft in the middle infield. And so all of a sudden you look at Detroit and you're like, we've got all of these really promising hitters and they're all, for the most part, McGonigal accepted. They're all, you know, 2024, 2025 guys. And so, and then 
at the end of that is when you're bringing up Clark and you're bringing up McGonagall. And so the thought process for me there is like you're, you're building a very, very competent offense and you're building an offense that is going to be low cost and gives you the ability to take some of the pitchers you have that you're trying to get healthy, like a um, Casey Mice, things like that, mm-hmm. supplement them with some free agents. You know, they went out, Eduardo Rodriguez was there. And when you do all of that, all of a sudden you have a team that can, that is cheap and good and in a division that's not necessarily filled with powerhouse teams. So right. it, it feels like a sustainable way to build a contender. Now, if it contends for a world series, I don't know if they're there yet, but you can see, you can clearly see the pathway in the minor leagues over the next two years to take that MLB roster to at least an above average offensive level. And from what I've seen of a lot of these guys, at least an above average defensive level as well. And then if you can get the pitching to match, all of a sudden you have a winnable division, you have the ability to go out and and make some noise. And that's not something we've seen from the Tigers in a while. And so like some of the, the, the changes they made in player development, some of the staff changes that they made, these are working and we should be excited about the Detroit Tigers prospects in a way that we haven't been in a while. Yeah. I mean, I know everybody soured a little bit on, uh, like you said, Riley Green when he came up and didn't Torque. exactly set the world on fire. Torque, you know, same thing, but I think we're starting to see it now. And I mean, I know I'm going to be kind of watching them a bit on MLB TV next year, like especially once those guys start getting the call up and, you know, when Jackson Job's up there, he's been nasty so far uh, in the fall league, his first week and just finished strong too. So I'm looking forward to watching them. I mean, next year, when you look at the pitching rotation, as it's something where Job's probably, if he comes up next year, it's very end of the year, right? Like he just finished the year in high A, but it's something where like Ty Madden, Wilmer Flores, like there's multiple, you know, top 10 prospects uh, that can come up and can supplement what they have at the major league level. So like there's absolutely a path to contingent here and you should be yeah. excited if you're, if you're a Tigers fan. Might be, might be my adopt, adopt a team next year and, you know, tell everybody I knew before it happened. Just, you know, there just you listen go. to me next time. Yeah. Um, so we know the guys from the top prospects list, um, but do you have any good like sleepers um, that might, you know, kind of jump onto their prospect boards with a good fall league showing. So, um, it's, it's really easy to, to kind of say, Hey, the top prospects are going to do really well. Um, I'm, what I'm thinking about are, is guys that do specific things really well and are part of organizations that, that can develop that type of pitcher. So like Ronan cop of the Dodgers, he's a guy lefty pitcher, fantastic vertical break on his fastball. And we've seen the dot we've seen this year the Dodgers have been really really good at developing pitchers so Ronan Cop kind of makes sense but like Bryce Hubbard of the Reds he's another lefty similar to Roman Ronan Cop who has a really really good outlier fastball and the Reds are a team that I've talked about the most surprising amount in this podcast they're getting pretty good at developing pitchers too and so it's situations like that that kind of stand out to me as guys in the AFL that can do it in a different environment or you get um, somebody like Jack Brannigan of the Pirates, mm. right? Something where a third rounder out of Notre Dame played really well this year, but has a big glaring flaw of strikeouts, right? 30% strikeout rate. And so that's a guy that if he can cut down on the strikeouts a bit in Arizona, which hopefully you could, the, the hitting is better than the pitching uh, and it is a hitter's environment. That's a guy who could jump into the list 
especially because uh, he's going to have plenty of time in the minors to develop because he plays shortstop and they have O'Neill Cruz. So it's something where when you see a guy who is at a position that is loaded in that system, it's not always a bad thing because then you don't have an incentive to rush them and they get the time to build and develop where they need to be. Now you run into issues if it's something like a Michael Bush where he sits in the, in the minors for too long because you can't, you can't get him to the major league level or he can't hit enough when he first gets there to stay. But got guys like that who have really good individual tools um, and are with organizations that can develop that specific skill. And in this case, Pirates helping him cut down strikeouts. I think Jack Brannigan could do well. And that's kind of what I'm looking for in the AFL is like, hey, you have a known issue. Let's go fix it while you're there. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him make it. That's just an all-time name there, right there. I don't know if you ever watched Futurama back in the day, but I always think of uh, <laughs> Zap Brannigan. Captain Zap Brannigan. Um, so I guess last question for you. It's Sunday, October 8th. We're into the uh, division series round. Who you got winning the whole thing? You know, before last night's games, I had the Atlanta Braves winning the whole thing. Mm. Um, it was it was a tough loss for the Braves. Uh, I, I did notice that three of the four number one se- or three of the four teams that had a bye lost their divisional series game, and so it's making me wonder if a team that's been really hot in the postseason and has played all the way through was going to do it. And my first thought is the Rangers. Right? Mm-hmm. We talked about Evan Carter. We talked about all the veterans and the position players they have and the pitching that they have. They feel like a pretty safe bet. It's also kind of hard to bet on to bet against Houston right. because they seemingly have not lost a playoff game at home since like 2021 or something. It's nuts. Um, so those are probably if I'm switching off of my pick at the Braves, which would be very bandwagon of me to do after <laughs> one loss. If I'm switching off of the Braves, it's probably either Rangers or Astros simply because the Astros have shown they can do it. And the Rangers have shown they have that really good mix of, Uh, young players and veterans. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Jordan Montgomery and Eovaldi are going to keep this up looking like uh, Glavin and Maddox, like they did against the Rays last week, but you know, it's, they're doing enough and all they got to do is keep on winning. I mean, as simple as it sounds. So that offense is going to be there. And that's really the question was, was that those two guys or was that the Rays? Like, that's the real question. We saw them go out and win game one against the Orioles, but it's like, okay, was it the fact they were playing the Rays, or is that just them being better? And I like I don't know what the answer to that is, but they've got a good mix of of veteran and young talent. They if they advance, they potentially have Max Scherzer coming back. He's able yeah. to throw; he's just not stretched out yet. And so you add a quality pitcher there for the for the ALCS. They're going to be a threat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wouldn't mind it. You know, I'm enjoying watching Carter and Young and all those guys and. Uh, it's been a, a good playoff so far. Well, Lindsay, thanks again for joining us. Um, Want to give the audience a chance. Where can we find your work and how do we listen to you every day? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Uh, that is the hub of everything, whether it's the minor league baseball, Locked on MLB Prospects, where we get your podcasts and on YouTube. That's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. I'm also writing about major league baseball. That is on Bravestoday.com. And then I, from time to time, dabble in college baseball as well. That's usually, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet those stories out, but that's usually at auburndaily.com talking about uh, college baseball kind of focused on the sec perfect all right well thanks so much for joining us Lindsay. hope you have a good week ahead thanks for having me
All right, that was Big Sleep from Reagan Era Rejects coming out on their new EP, Destroyer, in November uh, from Mutant Sound Records. You're going to find them on Spotify, but a big shout-out to our guy Alex over on the Discord for uh, sharing his music with us. Hope you guys enjoyed it. All right, well, welcome back. As we said at the start of the show, minor league season's all done, um, but that doesn't mean there aren't players out there poised to make an impact next year in the bigs. Um, I'm shy to call them prospects, but they're prospective players coming over. Um, so to help us talk about that a little bit is uh, the mind behind Gaijin Baseball, a great account on Twitter and YouTube. If you're not following him, I'd like to welcome Evan to the show. Evan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So tell us about um, your accounts out there. What is it you uh, offer content-wise? It's a little bit of everything from what I can tell. A little bit of everything. Uh, on Twitter, I'm mainly focused on uh, current events uh, in NPB at the moment. But uh, on YouTube and on Reddit, I like to post about history uh, when I can. Uh, usually, in the it, it started out as this whole thing of finding a whole bunch of stories and wanting to tell them. <coughs> pardon me. And uh, eventually, that that scoped into a YouTube channel and uh, and my Twitter account, where uh, I just talk about a side of uh, the history of the game that a lot of people don't really know about, and it's fun to share that. Yeah, I mean, for anybody out there with like the tiniest bit of interest, it's definitely worth a follow and watching the videos. I mean, I'm, you know, getting more and more invested in it by watching World Baseball Classic. But, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much exactly. rich history to it and so many players to learn about. Um, so I guess rolling right into the first question, you know, we always hear about the posting system over here um, and kind of how that holds guys back a little bit. I'm just kind of curious if you could explain how that works. And I guess, is there any way around it? Like if you're Le LeBron James of high school baseball in Japan? The, there is and there isn't. See, the posting system exists uh, because of three players. Hideo Nomo, Hideki Irabu, and Alfonso Soriano. So when Nomo first came over, he used a loophole in his contract by basically going, hey, the Kintetsu Buffaloes only control my rights NPB-wise. So if I just retire then I'm a free agent for MLB. And so that's what he did, and that loophole got closed pretty much immediately afterwards. Uh, then, uh, when it came to Hideki Irabu, he wanted to play for the Yankees, but the San Diego Padres had contacted his team, the Chiba Lote Marines, and worked out a deal that if Irabu goes over to MLB, he goes mm. to the San Diego Padres. This was deemed immoral but not illegal at the time right uh and then mlb changed their rules as to how they deal with um you know signing japanese talent um and their and and the ways that worked uh irabu did end up getting traded to his rights traded to the yankees uh by the padres for i believe like 12 million dollars 
and that's how uh, he became a Yankee. And then when it came to Alfonso Soriano, he wanted out because he wanted a raise and the Hiroshima carp weren't giving it to him. So what Hiroshima had done in the 90s was create a Dominican academy uh, with the thought process being we can save money by developing our foreign players in-house. Soriano was the best player to come out of that particular uh, group, but he hadn't played well enough in NPB to make over league men. He, like, he'd struggled majorly in his first season. Hmm. He also didn't really jive well with the practice regimens and all that stuff. So he decides to retire. This causes a massive issue uh, because that loophole has been closed. And Hiroshima essentially sends a message to all 30 MLB teams and say, hey, you send Soriano, we're suing you. Huh. Because you have you have no right to do so. Uh, this creates an issue because Bud Selig's like, no, he's a free agent. Right. And the the whole agreement surrounding Japanese players doesn't count surrounding foreign players, which leads to this whole mess. Uh, the Yankees do end up signing him. And um, sources are unclear, but it's uh, Japanese sources say they did pay the carp basically the equivalent of what they paid for Soriano's contract. So they paid Soriano $3.1 million. They also paid the Hiroshima Carp $3.1 million mm-hmm. uh, as, as a compensation. And uh, please don't sue us because while this works under American law, under Japanese law, they could still probably sue them. Right. So <clears throat> just, to, just to avoid a legal mess. So at that point, uh, the GM of the Oryx Blue Wave of all teams, he sets out an agreement of how, how we're going to handle this from now on because it's going to be a thing. So the first level of the posting system, which I believe lasted until 2007, uh, was essentially a silent auction. The player had no real control over where he went. Mm. It was who was willing to pay the most money to the team to get his negotiating rights. Players didn't particularly like this. Uh, They tried to negotiate, but there's only so much negotiation you can do when the team you want to go to gets outbid. Right. So they... <clears throat> they changed this in 2007 to the point where the player can negotiate with whatever team he wants, but that team in turn has to negotiate the posting fee. Um, and it's not a set level. It can be anything. The last time we saw this happen, actually the last player to sign under those rules was Shohei Otani. Uh, because under the current rules of how the posting system works, um, the the fighters would have only got fifty four thousand oh, wow. dollars for Otani, um, but instead they got twenty million from the Angels. Um, it's been now how it works is uh, the first twenty five million, twenty five uh, sorry twenty percent of that on top goes to the team. So if you're paying a guy twenty five million dollars guaranteed money. Uh, you also have to pay his team five million, Ooh. and then it's the next twenty-five million, seventeen point five percent of that, and then anything over fifty million is fifteen percent of that. So, for example, when it, the um, when Masataka Yoshida signed this year, uh, they um, the posting fee was fifteen million three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. 
because that was how the tax bracket kind of worked on the $90 million contract. And it's why some teams are more willing to post than others. Teams that are more cash strapped per se will be more inclined. It's why also why some teams who have a lot of money just don't post players. The Hawks and Giants particularly do not post players because why would we need to? Um, The Hawks have never posted anyone uh, in their history. The Giants have only posted two players. Those being a guy who had no roots in the organization and really they didn't want to keep in Shun Yamaguchi and the nephew of the manager or former manager. Now he just stepped down. But uh, Tomoyuki Sugano, Hmm. a man who had like a lot of clout within the organization and could pull off something like this. Everyone else, whether they be Hideki Matsui, Koji Uehara, uh, they all left as free agents. Wow. So it's why certain top prospects who have a lot of MLB aspirations do not want to go to the Hawks or do not want to go to the Giants because they're going to have to play out their full nine years of service time in order to to go over. Um, so it's nine years. That's basically nine years. Yeah, nine agency. years is when you reach international free agency over there. It's um, a lot of teams will sort out things like, for example, Munitaka Murakami. Uh, he is under a contract that basically says we will post you after your age 25 season. Okay. And so, yeah. yeah. So in a couple of years, um, I believe for, yeah, posting for 2025 hmm. or after the 2025 season. So <clears throat> at a point where it makes more sense, where Murakami is going to get more money and the team's going to get a better posting fee. So, the reason, essentially the reason why the posting system exists uh, is to prevent what happened to the Negro Leagues, really, where the, the, the talent just got so gutted by MLB yeah. that it ceased to exist anymore. Uh, NPB wants to very much keep their position at, at a high level, and they don't want their players bolting for MLB right out the gate. Uh, isn't really a worry anymore after the fighters managed to sign Shohei Otani. Because uh, they, when they had drafted him, the whole thing was, oh, he's going to go over to MLB regardless. And the fighters went, uh, no, 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 no. Here's a big old book. Uh, we, we went and interviewed a bunch of Korean and Taiwanese minor leaguers. And this is the reality of playing minor league ball in the States and how <laughs> much it sucks and why you don't want to do it. We will also, you know develop you as a two-way player, which no MLB team will do. And we will post you at the very first opportunity. And they posted him in 2017 after they couldn't repeat. So there are ways around it, which uh, basically invalidated the previous thing that stopped players from going over immediately, which was called the Tazawa rule, which was uh, former Boston Red Sox pitcher Junichi Tazawa. He jumped over right out of college. This freaked a lot of NPB teams out who wanted him, and they went, okay, well, you want to do that. You can't play it. You can't directly come back. If you fail, you can't directly come back to NPB. You have to play a year in indie ball, and you, wow. have to re-enter, and you have to re-enter the draft. You cannot just sign with whoever you want. Only if no team drafts you can oh. you sign with whoever you want. And it was a strong enough, you know, deterrent that no one really went over after Tazawa. 
and <clears throat> pardon me, uh, it got to the point where uh, certain wealthy benefactors of a lot of top baseball high schools also threatened to pull funding if the top player left. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so there's a whole thing. Um, it was actually a story that came out about a month ago where uh, the Red Sox top Asian scout uh, knew about Yuki Yanagita, who's basically NPB's Mike Trout. He wanted Yanagita, but the school would not let him talk to him at all. Because if they had let Yanagita go, their uh, their funding would just be completely shot. Uh, then, Yana, then So he resolved, okay, I'm just going to wait for him to get drafted. And when he gets posted, I'll just keep him on the Red Sox radar. And then he ended up on the Hawks. And yeah. so... And he also has, uh, Yanagita has basically said he has no interest in going to MLB. He'd rather just continue to be a top 10 NPB player of all time rather than, you know, go over. Uh, he even skipped out on the WBC uh, because the Hawks had a down year. And he's basically like, I want to focus on, you know, my, I, I want to, I want, he's the only Japanese player to really choose club over country outside of maybe Kodai Senga. But that was because he wanted to get used to his new. Right. Had the transition to make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Tazula rule was taken off the books a couple years ago in practice. In theory, you're still crossing the Rubicon. You know, you leave. We don't want to be a golden parachute. And given the uh, lack of success of foreign players in recent years, where it's like historically low, that... Maybe, you know, if you can't cut it in MLB, what's to say you can cut it in NPB now? Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of disincentive to go. There's nothing stopping a player from going, but there's a lot of disincentives. There's a lot of downside if it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you can't just skip over to a KBO, I'd imagine. and you know, Oh, K- KBO has its own thing. Actually, a lot of Korean prospects are skipping KBO. I've been seeing that lately. More yeah. and more of the guys coming out of high school and college are just signing with major league teams. And Yeah, and a lot of people high up in Korean baseball are not happy about it because it's it's causing this lack of talent to develop in-house. And a lot of people have blamed it for the, the Korean national team's lack of success in the last WBC was, well, all our top prospects are getting poached. We can't, you know... We can't build any kind of team unity. We can't do anything. Meanwhile, NPB is stopping their prospects from being poached. Right. Uh, and and right now, there's a whole thing with uh, the top prospect in, in top hitting prospect, I should say, in this year's draft, Rintaro Sasaki. He's talking about, oh, he's going to go over and do D1 college in the States. He could, but it's a, um, it's, it's, more of a negotiating tactic than anything because his dad is his dad is the coach of Hanamaki Higashi High School, same high school as Shohei went to, same high school Yusei Kikuchi went to. And he doesn't want to lose funding, but he's also been very vocal about who he doesn't want his son to play for. Mm. He says, like, he's saying, like, I don't want my son to play for the Hawks. I don't want my son to play for the Fighters. He's very much trying to engineer where his son ends up. Absolutely. The old Eric because Lindros of, move, yeah. Oh, yeah, complete Eric Lindros move. Uh, so the whole thing of with him talking to Vanderbilt, mainly, is basically like, give me what I want or I'm going to Vandy in that way. So, yeah. 
And then he's stuck there for a couple of years. And, and then he's stuck there for a few yeah. years. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't get drafted into uh, MLB, which is honestly a, a, a probability, the will MPB teams use him as a uh, be be happy to have a gold be, have him as a golden parachute? No. Um, there's a whole thing with um, Rintaro Sasaki is that oh, he, like people are going oh, he broke the high school home run record over thing. I'm like yeah, but that's yeah, that includes the games against some like legitimate top high schools and some you know kids who will never ever see right. even the corporate ball ranks. You know, like. <clears throat> It's not, it's not a great, it's not like a solid record. And the guy who had the previous record isn't doing so hot in NPB right now. So it's uh, all sort of, uh, yeah, subjective cool for him, but no big, no big deal, really. Yeah. The, the kids got power for days. It's just, there's, yeah. He hits the mistakes. It sounds like then. Exactly. So speaking of like high school records, um, you know, high school baseball is huge in Japan. Um, one thing I'd love to get some information on is the the baseball tournament, the Summer Cushion. Um, we often hear it compared to March Madness. Uh, what can you do, tell us about that? And what does it do to put spotlights on like the up and coming players? It does a lot to put spotlights on up and coming players. It's not as big as it used to be. Uh, whereas the scouting departments have gotten better and broader. Guys who are on schools that missed Cushion entirely are still being scouted very well. Um, but... Uh, how it how it used to be was like if you want to get into NPB at a high school, you had to get your school to Koshin. Mm. Um, and how it is now is that you get one team from every prefect from every prefecture, two teams from Tokyo, two teams from Hokkaido because Hokkaido is the largest by land right. area, and um, one extra school to make it fifty, I believe. Uh, that format started out, I believe in the late seventies, but it used to be a thing they did every five years. Okay. And they weren't going to do it after the 50th anniversary of the tournament, but then the 55th anniversary of the tournament rolled around and a top prospect, uh, named Suguru Egawa, who had torn up his home prefectures, um, high school baseball scene but once they got to the northern he was from tochigi once they got to the north kanto tournament which is to get into koshen they would always run into a better team because mm. i don't want to say egawa carried that team but the more i read about it the more i'm like yeah that team was basically suguru egawa and a bunch of other bunch of random kids on his back yeah <laughs> like his um his catcher uh, later became a member of parliament. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it, 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 it's, it's uh, the school was a very, it was, they were an elite academic and sporting school uh, with like a major connection to KO university, which is why uh, Egawa ended up going there because he wanted to go to KO university and pitch in the premier rivalry matchup in university baseball, which is KO versus Waseda. And he actually ended up failing KO's entrance exams after telling the team that drafted him no. Oh, and he did end up getting another big, uh, another Tokyo Big Six school, uh, Hosei University, to give him another shot at entrance exams, and he went there. 
Uh, but the team he said no to was the Honky Braves, who you may now, you now know as the Oryx Buffaloes. Uh, mm. During the time when he was at Jose University, the Braves won three championships. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, when it comes to Koshin, it is massive. But the, f- the first few rounds, you're going to see the stadium about 80% full. Sure. Because it's usually on weekdays and such. And, like, you know, the finals packed loud as hell. Like, re- uh, this year's finals was big because uh, you had Sendai Ikue, uh, who are the defending champions. Um. They had become the first school ever from the region of Tohoku, who had always had at least one school in the tournament for the entire over 100 tournaments played. Always at least one. They had never won it until last year when Sendai Ikue won it. And then you had Keio, I believe Keio, yeah, Keio uh, University uh, Kanagawa High School, uh, who were like, this. they hadn't won it in over 100 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and they were also big culture shocks. It used it, it was and still is mainly that high school baseball players, you know, buzz cuts, you know, no dyeing your hair, no nothing. You are a baseball robot. And essentially KO was well, like, screw that. The Yankees Their whole, with the, uh, yeah, the hundred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their mantra is like old school. Like their, their mantra was literally enjoy baseball. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was, the, that was their, that was their slogan. And, uh, Hey, it worked in, and it, it, it's something you started doing a few years ago and it started to, it's starting to roll through, uh, but I think seven of the schools in the tournament also had similar things where like, we don't want you to, like, we don't care if you buzz cut your hair or dye your hair or whatever you do. You, you're a kid, you yeah, know, exactly. Um, it's, uh, express yourself. Yeah. Express yourself. You, you, you only get to, you only get to figure out who you are once. Right. You know? And uh, a lot of people are th- with with Ko's win. A lot of people are thinking like, oh, "Mom, maybe maybe we should maybe we should do this too," because it seems to be working for him. Hey, you know, I guess if you can copy the culture and you get it locked in and you get a title out of it, I mean, it's all worth it at exactly. the end of the day. Exactly, a couple of haircuts and some discipline. So exactly. So, to, um, kind of looking at like the draft for NPB. Um, you know, we know major leaguers. Every front office has their own kind of philosophy and how they view it. Mm-hmm. And then MPB, are they looking at the draft for more of an upside standpoint? Or are they looking maybe like kind of the finished product ready to plug and play into the professional it, leagues? Or is it a combo of both? It's a combo of both. It depends on where you're drafting the player from. Um, NPB's draft works on what's called a waiver system as well, where at the start of each round, everyone is on the table. So you, you see this in like sometimes extreme cases where Hideo Nomo got selected by nine of the 12 teams. Oh. And then you get compensation picks, which are also work on that level and then down. So what it typically, the top prospect will typically have like a few, at least two or three teams go after him. Uh, whereas some people will be keen to pick the guy with upside. Like right now, outside of Rintaro Sasaki, the other top prospect is a corporate ball player. Hmm. And so the thought process is he's more NPB ready. You could plug him into a lineup tomorrow in a way. Okay. Um, so high school players and corporate ball players have that more expectation because they're in their early 20s. They 
need to go into a lineup. So it all really depends on what what the team needs now. Right. If a team is if a team needs reinforcement at a position right now, and the top university and corporate ball prospect is that right now, they're going to go after him. Uh, if if they can afford to be a little bit more, you know, give the guy one or two years of development time, they'll take um they'll take that top high school prospect. Okay. Yeah. So generally, uh, with 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 how development times work, um, you typically get three to five years. If you can't at least make some kind of impact on the big league team in three to five years, you're gone. Gotcha. You, they'll cut you. Uh, because uh, it, there's not really an infinite minor league system. Most teams only have one minor league team. Top top teams have two. Uh, and you have a 70-man pool of players who you can pull from okay. to go on the major league squad. There's also training players, which is its own thing. There's its own separate draft for that where they're given a little bit more leeway. Uh, they're also given numbers over 100 oh, or, three digit, or, or three digit numbers, depending uh, in order to differentiate them from your, from your standard guys who are on the 70 man. Um, Kodai Senga, for example, was a development draft pick. Okay. And, um, you know, sometimes a development draft pick will make the 70 man out of camp like we saw this year with uh, one guy in the Buffaloes. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he was leading NPB in batting average for a little bit. And then he came back down to earth, but he kind of he made the team out of camp development draft player. So <clears throat> it's all really upsy downy, you know. Yeah. So kind of talking about that a little bit, the development team, I mean, is that kind of almost what you'd consider like a rookie ball for like major league equivalent or even like a single a or in, in a way. Yeah. Uh, your development squad players, uh, typically <clears throat> what goes on with them is they play against, uh, indie ball teams. Mm. Uh, so like the indie ball teams will have a little side thing of their schedule to play against these, um, like second minor league squads. They're known as, uh, Sangun, which literally means third army. Like so it. you have your Ichigun, your Nigun, and your Sangun. Um, and so only, only the top like teams with a lot of money have a have a Sangun. Um, and um, yeah, in a way, rookie ball is the best way you could probably put it. Okay. Because like when it comes to indie ball, you're facing against some legitimately good talent who's trying to impress uh, and get selected in the next year's draft. And some guys who are just content to be where they are. Sure. You know? Yeah. Some guys that just like playing ball. Yeah. Some guys are just like, you know, this is as far as I'm going to get. And I'm happy with that. So, I mean, I guess there are instances though, where guys are drafted in and it can be a right to the show. I mean, it's not oh, yeah. the, the MLB thing where you got to prove yourself at four stops. And mm -hmm. uh, there are like direct to the show is very rare out of camp. Uh, like even Munataka Murakami, he spent most of his first season in the minors till they got to the point where he was ready to go and then he got called up. I think he only played six games in on the big squad in his in his age eighteen season. Okay. I mean still good exposure. Yeah. Good exposure, but it's like late season garbage time ball, we're out gotcha. of the playoffs. Let's call up the top prospects, see what he's got. 
Um, sometimes they can make it, but like halfway through the season, like uh, Shogo Asano, who is the uh, first round pick of the Giants in last year's draft, he got called up halfway through because simply put, it's just like, well, there's no reason to keep him down here. Gotcha. He, he's shown he's shown that he's good. He like, he, yeah, he's 18 and he's raw as hell. But you know what? We need help at that position. He plays. Call him up. He might. Yeah. Show some upside yeah. and do something good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really the leash is shorter for, I've said it before, but leash is shorter for college ball and indie ball guys. Um, if you can't make the team within three years, not gonna you're happen. gone. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You're gone, which is a little harsh, but given the, the fact that you have to clear out space on the 70 man for each draft year, right? It's kind of understandable. Pretty limited selection, yeah, space for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when that happens, though, I guess I'm curious, is is it where guys can jump from team to team and maybe the other team sees something in them? Or is it usually like, yeah, we saw enough for over your last three years, you're probably out of the league and maybe go play amateur ball? Uh, a lot indie. of them go to indie ball and uh, hope to sign as a free agent. Okay. So like a lot of them, like most some of the times they'll just give up. Like I remember some guy was on the um the uh MPB forums. He pulled like a one of fifty card of this uh Yakult Swallows reliever. It's like, oh, who is this guy? Is he any good? And it's like, yeah, yeah, well he 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 quit and he's now working an office job. <laughs> it's just like I like he had just kind of decided, hey, you know I, I gave I, it my best and it's probably man, not I'm done. Yeah. I, if I can't be more than a mop up man in NPB, I'll just go work an office job for more money. You know, hey, why not? At least it's yeah. consistent work. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess yeah. the question some of our, our prospecting heads out there really looking forward to, um, who are some names that are you're kind of looking at uh, to be posted maybe not only this year, but the next year or two? Uh, this year, the two main guys are Yoshinobu Yamamoto, three-time Triple Crown winner, uh, pretty much going to be the first three, th- first back-to-back-to-back MVP since the 70s. Wow. Um, and he's probably going to win three straight Sawamuras, which is the first time that's happened since I believe the fifties. Jeez. Um, and he is the best thing since sliced bread. He is the real deal. The other guy is Shota Imanaga who stopped him from getting an all NPB triple crown by leading the CL, like leading the entire league in strikeouts. Okay. Uh, so, they, so, yeah. so there's two leagues in NPB for those of you who don't know, there's the central league and the Pacific league. Imanaga pay, plays for the Yokohama Bay Stars, who are a Central League team. Yamamoto plays for the Oryx Buffaloes, who are a Pacific League team. And there's six teams in each league, and those the top teams make the Japan Series, and that's how they play. It's been that way since 1950. Before that, it was a one-league structure, and then there's a whole mess that caused the reorganization that I'm not going to get into because I could be here for two hours. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> the, 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 the long and short version of that is... Uh, Mainichi, who was a big newspaper, uh, they wanted to join the JPBL. Uh, the Dragons and Giants, both owned by big newspapers, blocked them because they didn't like the way Mainichi reported. Oh. <clears throat> and they thought they were too renegade-ish and all this other stuff. So Mainichi was just like, screw it, we'll start our own league. And because we're technically our own league, we can poach all your best players. <laughs> and they did, and they they poached quite a few players. Uh, then uh, this whole mess stepped in, 
uh, ironically, a postseason tour from the San Francisco Seals uh, put both sides away from the negotiating table for long enough that things were able to calm down. It's like, okay, we'll we'll do this two-league structure thing. Uh, and that's how the Pacific League was born and how a lot of the – why the three oldest teams in the league went into the Central League. And that's why you have the Giants, the Tigers, and the Dragons in the Central League. Okay. And Mainichi's team, which is now the Chiba Lote Marines, uh, after they sold like a long series of cells, um, <clears throat> are in the Pacific League. So nice. it's also why they won the first ever Japan series because they had just poached all the best. <laughs> they just brought they everybody. Poached, over they poached and, a bunch yeah. of they poached a bunch of talent and they rode that to their first ever the first ever title. I mean, hey, I wish the Mariners would bring a bunch of guys over for spite, you know, against other corporations and load up. I oh, mean, my God. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy with that. Uh, when it comes to the uh, the Mariners, uh, the, the downside to having like, I, I've said this before, but the downside to having a guy like Ichiro play for the Mariners is that there's quite a few people who like in Japan who see the Mariners as Ichiro's team. Mm hmm. That is, it's why Shohei is probably not going to the Mariners because it's like, it's not a legacy oh. I, I want to overshadow or be overshadowed by. Yeah. Some guys, they just don't care. Like Hisashi Iwakuma just didn't care. He's just like, you know what? You're going to give me the most money. All right. I'm going with you. So yeah, I'm a pitcher, it doesn't intersect. No big deal. It doesn't yeah. intersect. And hey, Iwakuma threw a no hitter for the Mariners. Right. So yeah. We love uh, him. Back on topic though. Um, what are we talking about? God. Oh, uh, guys coming over. So yeah, guys coming over. Year, yeah. Maybe so even even coming over yeah. as well. Uh, he has got a lot of strikeout stuff. Uh, he's a little bit, uh, more, um, he gives up a, a little bit more hard hit, hard hit than, uh, Yamamoto. But it's also, prone type or... uh, yeah. But it's also the fact that he plays in quite literally the, smallest park in NPB as his home base, Yokohama <laughs> stadium. Yokohama stadium is it's got short outfield, but like the outfield walls are super high, which but is they're distance. like two stories. They're like two and a half stories high, but it's a blessing and a curse. Cause like any, anything with enough launch angle is gone. Anything hit hard with even a side enough launch angle is off the wall. So like it's, it's it's a very it, it's led to the Bay Stars since they moved there in 1978. The teams have almost always been the same: high flying offense, can't pitch. Colorado Rockies of the NPB. Col- Colorado basically. Rockies, in a way, yeah, except without the without the um, you know without the uh, mild well, high ball. Exactly. Yeah. Different park factors, but yeah, similar the park, outcomes. The park factors are in its own way. It's why. Um, uh, like I had some someone look over at mpbstats.com. It's just like, hey, Carlos Ponce was pretty like on par with some of these other guys. Why does uh, WRC Plus have him lower? It's like park factors because he factors. spent half his games at Yokohama Stadium. Yeah, do it. Exactly. Are uh, there any guys uh, next year that are next year is is a little bit. Uh, so Kona Takahashi wanted to go over this year. The Lions said no. And that's another thing with the posting systems. The team can just refuse. Mm. Uh, the team at the end has to approve the post, the posting. And it's usually you see this over a two year stretch where a guy makes it clear that he wants to go. The team goes, okay, let's give us a chance to load up and go for one last run. Gotcha. Um, and then we'll post you. 
that's why a lot of people were very, you know, uh, taken aback when Yoshida got posted. So a lot of people thought when the rumors started coming, it's like, okay, so it's going to be this year that he gets posted, not last year. Uh, but the, the Buffaloes posted him probably because they, they knew that they could get the best free agent hitter on the market. Mm. It was Tomi Amori. It's like, oh, we can, well, Tomi Amori's on the market. Well, we can go get him. <laughs> make a little like, money well, back on Yoshida. Make, 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 yeah. yeah, make, make 15 million off the back of the Red Sox and use that money to go and get Tomi Amori, which is pretty much exactly what they did. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, uh, it, it works out in a way. It's all about timing and strategy and such. Uh, in a few years, you're going to see Munitaka Murakami and Roki Sasaki both have basically said they're going, uh, but they're waiting until they're 25 and they can get real money. Yeah. And it also makes sense for the teams to hold back on them till they're 25 so that they can, you know, get more money in the posting fees and such. Oh, absolutely. And um, as of right now, it's it's really... It's really like, um, it, it's really difficult to predict because a lot of players do keep it close to the chest because they don't want to, because sometimes fans will see it as a betrayal, especially sure. if the team is on the up or if the team is falling down. It's like, oh, this is just making it worse, you know? Um, like, for example, there's there's a lot of really good players right now who may or may not go over, like... Uh, Chusei Manami is having a breakout season with the with the fighters. Um, and this well, this one guy who won't go over is Kensuke Kondo, who's the best player, best position player in the league right now. He's on the Hawks. He actually reached free agency um, last year, and there was some talk about like, oh, you know, maybe an MLB team will go after him, but no, the Hawks swooped him up. And well, seven year deal, team with no posting policy. Yeah, he's staying put. Um, yeah, and he's putting up great numbers for them. And he's too, putting up great numbers, saw, yeah. exactly. So it's just like, yeah, why do it? Yeah, why why blow it? Um, when it comes to like that kind of thing, it, it's very hard to tell. Um, like sometimes journalists will try and start rumors. Like Morosi, a uh, cup about a month ago, he tried to start rumors surrounding Kazuma Okamoto. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about him. <clears throat> yeah, to paraphrase the Giants' uh, front office representative. Like the night the rumor started, fuck no. <laughs> it was pretty much just like we have no plans to do that. Um, and and Morosi even admitted like this completely goes against organizational culture. Like yeah, if you know that, then why do you say it? Because there's Some no way that, on a cocktail napkin. The, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Giants are not going to like the Giants are not going to post a player unless he's you know not developed by the organization or you know connected familiarly to the organization. Okamoto is none of those things. They developed him from scratch and he doesn't have family members in high places in the organization. So there's no leverage he has to leave. And, and he's, he's performing large, well. <laughs> yeah. He's largely kept his mouth shut too. And it's just like, you know, it's like he, he's never, he's always been kind of like, you know, I don't really care one way or the other. And so it, cause he knows the giants aren't going to post him. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, if you can keep yeah. a guy that's hitting 40 home runs every year. Exactly. You, you can keep it, guys yeah. like six straight 30 homer, six straight 30 homer campaigns. Only other guys to have done that um, are Hideki Matsui and Sadaharu Oh. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, just two of the greatest players in the exactly. Yeah. So, uh, with Yamamoto, um, you mm. know, kind of, I think we hear 
a little bit that maybe NPB right now is going through a bit of a dead ball era um, where offenses may be a little bit declined. Strikeouts might be up. So his numbers are absolutely absurd. Yeah. What's a realistic expectation for him coming stateside? I mean, of course, there's going to be all kinds of adjustments. Uh, all kinds of adjustments. Game. Better than yeah. Senga. Better, better than Senga? Than, better than yeah. Senga. Uh, is people talk about that. But yes, even if you look at his uh, era-adjusted stats, like stuff like Fit Minus or ERA Minus, it's still ludicrous. Like nice. the man had the, the the man had a fit minus of fifty. The only guy who like the only wow. people who had a better one uh, in the modern era was you Darvish. Again, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah exactly. You Darvish, and yeah. and the guy who has the the record is a guy you've probably never heard of named Masaaki Koyama, who is one of the most underrated pitchers in MPB history. He pitched in the fifties and sixties. Uh, when I made my top 100 list and I put him as high as I did, some people were like, really him? And I'm like, yeah, look at his numbers. The man was insanely dominant. Just ruled the mound. Just ruled it. He's the guy who invented the palm ball. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, that. so it's like, uh, and there's a, there's a whole documentary that I found on him from like the nineties where he's basically just talking about the palm ball and how to throw it and not to throw it. Uh, the nineties were just an absolute treasure trove of documentaries for me, honestly, that I've, that I've just found on YouTube where it's like, Oh, here's this documentary on all the foreign players from like the, the sixties through the sixties through the early nineties. Here's all the no hitters, you know, and stuff oh, like wow. that from like, yeah. cause it was, it was a documentary. I believe the no hitter one was made in response to Hiromi Makihara's perfect game in 1994. Okay. Oh no, there was ones from 95 as well uh, in that documentary. Some like mid 90s ish, you know, and, you know, you get to see like footage that I hadn't seen of Terry Bross's no hitter or Taiwan Quo's no hitter, who guys, guys where I was like looking for this. I'm like, okay, I heard he's done it. Can I find footage? Oh, wait, I can. Now it's all in one nice little spot. Exactly. Yeah. One nice little package. Uh, but, yeah, when it comes to Yamamoto, the stuff he's putting up is just absolutely historic. Uh, yes, NPB is in one of the worst offensive periods it has been in a while. And we're probably due for some juiced balls. But it doesn't change the fact that Yamamoto's numbers were just absolutely comical. Like, it's even more comical when you look at Roki Sasaki's numbers before he got injured. Right. Roki Sasaki <laughs> had a sub one FIP. His FIP was 0.98. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I absolutely like, adore the guy, and like every chance I get to see him, it's just, I'm just yeah. Like, what the fuck? He's, yeah, he's like, oh yeah, like I, I, it's one of those things where like people talk about like where were you when you threw his perfect game? I was literally on my best friend's couch, like I'd sleeping over one night. I get a bunch of DMs, was like, "Yo, Roki's perfect through six. and I'm like, <laughs> "All right," jumping up, and I, uh, I turned on the game and watched it, and like, it's like, wow. Like, like seeing that guy just go when he's on. Ab we were robbed of a generational season by that damn oblique injury. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, yeah. glad that he got to come back for a little bit. but For anyways. a little bit, yeah. Um, it was, well, hey, it helped this team where it is because they have, uh, at the time of recording this, they have a chance to lock up third place uh, and make the playoffs right, tonight if they win. So, uh yeah, it's pretty much like uh when it comes to Yamamoto, yes there is the 
the TLDR is yes, there is like the, the low offensive environment to speak for some of his numbers, like the fact that he put up the fifth lowest ERA in the NPB era this right. year. But when you look at his era adjusted numbers, he good. He very good. Yeah, like, I mean it's yeah. it's probably, you know, the obvious thing to say, but people shouldn't expect a one two six ERA. No. At the same time, he does have ace potential, and he he you know, absolutely he, he could definitely thrive. could slot in as the ace of any team in in MLB. Really, yeah. Uh, depending on where he goes, uh, we've got a Discord uh, for our shows overrun with Mets fans that just know for a fact that he's going there. So Steve Cohen's going to back up the Brinks truck, and I'm like, oh, exactly. Oh and you know, maybe I'm, we'll I'm, bring I'm, in a, a Japanese catcher to catch him, Senga, and Otani. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's any on the market. I, I saw Mets fans kind of go like, oh, you know, he's is Senga trying to recruit Taki Akai? And I'm like, you don't want Taki Akai. He can't hit for shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it came to um, that whole thing, with, with when it comes to like me being a Mets fan as well, like I, the Mets are my NL team. I got family in New York City. It's, it's how it is. I... I grew up in I, like my dad's side of the family, Red Sox and Blue Jays. My like my mom's side of the family, Twins. Mm. So if I got family in New York and I got to support a New York based team, it's not going to be the Yankees. No, no, not at all. So yeah, the Mets became the Mets became my team. Uh, like it, it's it's nice to see the enthusiasm from the like uh, past the coupon era. Yeah, but. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to get him. Yeah. I, I don't think you are. At least, but there's the worst is the people going on with like Ken Rosenthal wrote some fabulous bullshit about like how Japanese players don't want to be on the same team at the same time as like, huh. as each other. Like it, it, it's, it's not true. <laughs> I always wondered about that because eventually you're going to run out of teams that don't have a Japanese guy. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like, it's not entirely true. Um, I, I, I don't know where Yamamoto is going to end up because I'm not in his head or his agent's head. Right. I'd say the Yankees are in on him hard, though. So good chance we see him in good, New York. Good chance when we see other. we see him in pinstripes is is yeah. my bet. As much as it would physically pain me, uh, yeah. yeah. We're not we're not too fond of the Yankees in uh, Mariners country either. So oh yeah, I, I bet. and Cole back to back is pretty terrifying. Yeah, so we shall see uh, where he ends up. Imanaga, I think Imanaga honestly ends up on the Red Sox. Okay, if if I'm because the Red Sox are scouting Maybe, um, heavy yeah. in Japan, they they know they're not going to compete monetarily with the teams going after Yamamoto. So why not get the next best thing? Right. Why not get why not get a great strikeout pitcher who should do well it in uh you know Fenway's offensive environment. So Yeah. I mean they need pitching, why not? They got money. Exactly. They, do it. they um, got money and they yeah. they fired Shime for no fucking reason. <laughs> he did exactly what you told him to do. Yep, but now you gotta have a fall guy for why you didn't make the playoffs. So <sighs> on to the next one. So uh Talking a little bit about Munitaka Murakami, mm. um, last year, you know, everybody in the baseball world was abuzz with the home run record, the tri- triple crown chase. This year, on the the uh, the old school stats, he showed a little bit of regression. 
where are we expecting him to be, you know, kind of as he hits his prime? Somewhere near that triple crown form or somewhere um, in between this year and last? I mean, people are saying like, oh, he's regressed. I'm like, he's still second in the league in home runs. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I forget. He just didn't exactly. hit 6,000 of them. He just, he, just didn't, he just didn't go absolutely ballistic because, gee, it's almost like pitchers adjusted or something. Exactly. <laughs> and um, if I can pull it up because I've got something for this right now what is current thing he's still like a 148 wrc plus bat which is you know 48 percent better than your than your average Uh, it's not 225 which i think is what what it was last year which is just absurd comical i think it's like i think it's like sixth all time not including seasons by sada haruo wow yeah because like sada haruo it's it's one two three four eight and ten i believe is (laughs) okay yeah that's no reason to count that then yeah 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 yeah, no um when it comes to murakami i think his his once he gets going again because he was like his start of the season was awful and it was well he hit a home run in his first at bat but like um he was still very much in in that funk that he hit after he hit his 55th Mm mm-hmm uh, after he hit number 55, he went into a massive funk because you could just see the pressure was building for him to break it, uh, which he did on his final at-bat of the season because he got he got chucked an absolute meatball. Right. <laughs> really. But, like, you could see that, like, that weight off him. He was not himself in the WBC uh, so much so that I, I sent out a very ill-advised tweet basically going, yeah, yank him, yank him. <laughs> Yeah, like he's a free out yank him and then he walks off the game against Mexico. Exactly. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see next year, we're going to see the real Murakami, which I think is going to be around if they juice the balls, 40 homers. Okay. Because um, they're definitely going to juice the balls after this year, uh, given given the sheer offensive ineptitude we've seen. Um, and they'll actually I, tell people up front that they're doing it too and not make... Factories, yeah, uh, and not and not do what they order. did in 2013, which was sneakily do it, and then oh no, <laughs> when someone's actually going to break the home run record now, maybe right. we should people, um, and then you know have the commissioner step down because unlike Manfred, they have a little thing called humility. Uh, <laughs> God, if, if half the shit Manfred was doing is happening in any other league, he'd be gone. Um, oh yeah, but. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, what's happening in in Oakland right now is an absolute travesty. Uh, uh, Tampa John- too. The, I mean, seeing what yeah, happened Tampa- with them with nineteen thousand fans at a playoff game. I mean, and then you build the replacement stadium still in St. Petersburg, not realizing St. Petersburg right. is the give, problem. Give them to Vegas already and keep Oakland home. Yeah. I know, move them to Montreal. Yeah, there you go. Move them there to a city talking. that actually wants a team back bad. Oh, that'd like, be people- fun. Uh, people talk about like, oh yeah, Montreal didn't support them near the end. It's like, yeah, because Jeffrey Loria was a yeah <laughs> Jeffrey Jeffrey Loria was a thing I cannot say here, right? Um, and uh, he gutted that team. Um, but back back to you know where Murakami is going to be. I, I think next year, I, I'd say forty homers, one seventy WRC plus through it. He, his batting average is going to climb back up. His OBP is going to get better. He's going to adjust to the adjustments, which we yeah. saw uh, later in the season. 
Uh, as for guys like Sasaki, I think Sasaki keeps up his his pace once he's back healthy and happy. I do not think the Marines are going, if the Marines make the playoffs, I don't think the Marines are going to risk starting him again uh, at this point in time because uh, they're not, uh, they're not, I think the next two pitchers have already been decided and it's not going to be him because he also caught COVID. I think. Oh, geez. Yeah, the, the, Marine, the Marines, the Marines got a COVID outbreak at the literally worst time when they are fighting for the final playoff spot. Oh, brutal. It's yeah. It's just like, oh. Um, so with a guy like him, though, where they know there's kind of a big financial future, are they putting on innings limits, pitch counts, you know, he, things like that? He's been on, a, on an innings limit pretty much his whole career, his pitch count and, and pitch count limits. It's very much um, their manager, Masato Yoshi, is a very smart guy. Uh, he's He's one of the smartest managers in the league tactically, and he being a pitcher himself knows about workloads and knows about how he can best manage things uh, with his bullpen and how he's going to play his bullpen. Uh, he, he's been very, uh, I think uh, if I have the data here, cause I, I took a look at every um, pitching performance all season, which was yes, an absolute hell to catalog, but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I can scroll down to the Marines, uh, the Marines, the Marines had exactly two, yeah, exactly two guys go all nine innings. Wow, all year. Um, and I think neither of them were rookie. Yet neither of them were rookie. It was Atsuki Taniichi both times. Most uh, innings rookie went were eight. Was eight. Okay. Um. <clears throat> And that was when he was like 11 Ks um, and he gave up a bunch of hits in the final one and was just like, all right, we're out. Um, yeah. So like rookie rookie's going to be kept on uh he's always been kept on a leash uh, because they know what a hundred miles an hour is going to do to an elbow. Yeah. And that it was back in high school too. There was uh, his high school coach caught absolute hell for not starting him in a do or die game. Hmm. Because, you know, he had just had him pitch, I think, 120 pitches the day before. Oh, it's just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. He's It's not the 70s anymore. These guys throw way harder. Just it's because gonna, you want to see it doesn't mean it's good just, for the yeah, kid. Just, yeah. Just, yeah, I tactically messed up by saving by not saving him for today. Uh, but <clears throat> in reality, like, Sasaki, Sasaki is going to get babied, but the Marines are fancying themselves as a playoff team next year again. Okay. So uh, that we, we may see Sasaki unleashed. We may not. Um, as for other guys who, who could be making the journey, um, there's no names that like super pop into your head. Uh, but uh, we're seeing some, you know, some, some flashes from guys like um, I, th- I think Tomohisa Ozeki, who is another Hawks development draft pitcher who just had a, I think he had this, the best start, best nine inning start that wasn't a no hitter this year. Oh, wow. So uh, like his, his uh, he game scored like a 96 101, which is in like, if you know, if you know what game yeah. score is like, 
it's basically the percent the the general idea it's not perfect but the is the percentage you gave your team to win so 96 101 is absurd and uh i think the only the only ones that are ahead of it are actually no i don't think either of the no hitters thrown this year were ahead of it the only ones the only one that i know for certain was ahead of it was uh Shosei togo's 10 inning shutout that he got a no decision for because you, oh yeah Shosei togo is another guy who's super young amazing pitcher but he is being overworked to hell <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine anybody, you know, getting mm-hmm. 10 innings unless they were doing, you know, three pitches, three outs for four or five of those Oh, innings. yeah. Yeah, I think Togo's biggest pitch count was like 140. Oof. He, yeah, he's, been, he's of. been relied on pretty heavy, but it, it's – if you were to look at the top nine uh, Tokyo Giants perform, pitching performances this year, Shosei Togo is first, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, and ninth. So they're using him for a good reason. It sounds they are like. using him for good reason because he is absolutely dominant. I think he threw, if I can pull that correctly, he threw three complete game shutouts. Wow. Um, no, yeah, yeah, no, he threw two complete game shutouts and one 10 ending shutout that he got no decision for. <laughs> okay, that's still pretty impressive, though. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So we're seeing more and more of like a rise in velocity um, mm-hmm. tying into arm injuries. Are Japanese pitchers seeing the same concerns? I mean, other than like, you know, being a pitcher and that's kind of injury prone as it is, is there something to worry about with a guy like Roki where it's hundred uh, miles per hour easy? There are, and there aren't. Uh, we saw, we've seen a couple of elbow surgeries over the recent times, but one thing uh, NPB does that I'm, I'm shocked MLB doesn't do. Uh, is well, like they give like one day extra rest, which I understand why MLB doesn't do it because the NPB schedule is very regulated. You play Tuesday through Sunday, you get Monday off. Right. That's how it is every how it is every every week. Uh, but they also like you'll see the starting pitcher after a game bundled up with like a big hot and cold pack on his shoulder, all wrapped up completely with a giant oversized shirt over it. Hmm. And like his elbows also wrapped up with hot and cold. Like they, they are basically doing everything to make sure his elbow and shoulder uh, recover as quickly as possible following a start. He's not just sitting around in the dugout watching the rest of the game. No, yeah. uh, he, he goes into the trainer's room, gets bundled up, and then he comes back up into the dugout and watches the rest of the game. So uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a picture on Twitter afterwards of what I mean. But it's it's yeah they they bundle them up massively, uh to the point where uh, like it, it's it's not less of a concern, but some people see it as less of a concern. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. And it's why like a guy like Shosei Togo will go ten innings, because the managers think like, oh, we're doing enough preventative stuff to stop this from happening. Okay. Go out there. So You're like. Rolling. Kind yeah. of to be seen long term, but you know they feel at least right now that they're doing. Yeah, they feel like they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, the first guy to get Tommy John over there was I believe Choji Murata in like the early '80s when he was already like in his 30s. Mm. Took a year out, came back, and played up until in his early 40s. Oh. Uh, but he afterwards he always basically said like, "No, Tommy John is a last resort. Don't do it." Yeah, that was that was his that was his view. It was like if you can still pitch and 
like if you can just let the ligament rest and still pitch without, you know, doing Tommy John, do that. That was always his big thing because it, it became a thing afterwards, like in the in the late 80s and early 90s, where it kind of became trendy yeah. to get Tommy John. And it messed up a couple guys' careers. Um, now it's just, you know. Yeah, now it's just. Again, let's go get Tommy John. Yeah, Exactly. It, it's it's sadly a little bit too prevalent because, you, you like, some people come back better than ever. Some guys don't. And the majority right. of the guys don't. So, is there anything like in their day to day conditioning that like maybe yep. differs from a major league rotation or you know stuff that the major league uh, conditioning could learn from? I uh, it's a case of everyday practice is is one thing that you see a lot uh, with NPB pitchers do typically don't throw bullpen sessions in between starts. But they they will occasionally. Uh, it's another thing that they do uh, to keep them loose is when there's two outs, the pitcher and catcher will go out of the dugout and stand in front of the dugout and do tosses. Oh, okay. They will stay. They will stay warm. And also, it also helps uh, without like you know inning change over time. You know, shorten that up by like keeping loose, staying warm, and that's why also why MPB players can go deeper into games. Right, they're keeping they, their arms more active, and yeah, yeah, their arms are more active in general. Um, as for as for strength and conditioning, it, it's really just kind of a case of extra day of rest, a lot more staying active, and a more proactive recovery. Mm. You know, they don't just they don't just like yeah, exactly like, I and it's something that the foreign pitchers typically don't do, from what I've seen. Uh, whenever I see, uh, like whenever you saw ba- Trevor Bauer, Foster Griffin, or Johan Mendez or Cy Snead after a start, you rarely saw them bundled up. You know, well, they're still kind of sticking to their uh, their, mm-hmm. their teachings. Yeah, what they think works. Got it. Yeah. So we're probably not going to have a mailbag from our listeners this week because we got so much good content. But my dad did want me to ask a question, and I love this one. Uh, when MLB fans are watching Shohei, hmm. we love to compare him to Babe Ruth. It, I know that Babe Ruth does have a nice historical tie-in with Japanese baseball. Now, is it the same in Japan when you're talking about him? Or is there like a different player where it's the gold standard is Saruharo O, it's Ichiro, it's some of these other legends that we come to think of? It, it, it really kind of depends. Like it's not, uh, Shohei Otani was compared to Babe Ruth in Japan because Babe Ruth has always been kind of revered there um you know uh, in the japanese baseball hall of fame one of the biggest things they have on display is a poster from the 1934 mlb all-star tour and the mm. biggest draw of the of the 1934 tour was that babe ruth was going to be there so he wasn't on the 1931 tour and so babe ruth uh he there's a monument to babe ruth at koshan stadium where he played there there's monuments to babe ruth at meiji jingu stadium because he played there uh, there's a monument to um, at, at Shizuoka Kusanagi Stadium, uh, which is where I, Iji Sawamura f- threw his famous, you know, complete game, only gave up one run, which was a Lou Gehrig homer. Uh, that uh, that stadium the story is to tell the grandkids. Yeah, yeah, that that stadium. Oh, uh, not with Sawamura. He he died uh, in the <laughs> war. He he ended up uh, he ended up dying in the war, but. Uh, 
the the stadium is called is colloquially known as Sawamura Ruth Memorial Stadium. Oh wow! Yeah. So and there's a statue of of Ig Sawamura and Babe Ruth out front. So. Uh, Babe Ruth is revered in that way. Like power hitters, comparing them to Sadaharu O is not something a lot of people like to do because Sadaharu O's numbers were so comically ludicrous that no one's going to touch them. So like it's it's more so comparisons to Hideki Matsui. Uh, some people make comparisons. Like there there is, I'm I'm doing a big project right now where I'm talking about like the best players from every prefecture. Mm. Uh, and a lot of times it's it's like the next guy who's currently a superstar. Uh, there's one guy, uh, the best position player to ever come out of Saitama. Name slips my mind, and it's killing me that it does. Uh, he was compared to Shigeo Nagashima when he was coming up out of high school. Nagashima hadn't even turned 30 yet by that point. And so in case you thought that kind of thing was new. Uh, so like guys like... Guys like that are compared, but it's oftentimes like you you set out your own legacy. Okay. In a way, uh, it is the general view of what you want to do. Um, like, uh, there was a whole thing with uh, Yuto Akihiro, who is uh, who was a rookie for the Giants this year. He got given fifty five, which is Hideki Matsui's old number, Ooh. and. Matsuhi uh, came to visit the Giants, as he does. And, like, when Akihiro, like, when he meets Akihiro in the tunnel, Akihiro is, like, very, like, uh, not wanting to turn his back because he doesn't want Matsui <laughs> to see that he's wearing 55. <laughs> Matsui, like, Matsui just turns him around physically, pats him on the back, is like, all right, you got it. I mean, I can understand that. That's kind of some big shoes to fill, right? There. Oh, yeah. Massive shoes to fill. Um,. And um, the the general view is guys do get compared, but it's it's not as prevalent as it is in the states. Okay, yeah, I mean, you know, I know in the media we love our our comps, we love our you know, oh this guy reminds mm-hmm. me of, and oh he's this generation's version of X Y and Z. But exactly, no, yeah. I mean that that definitely helps explain some of that philosophy you're talking about too. With you know why Shohei wouldn't want to go to Seattle and. You know, kind of yeah. to forge his like, own legacy in his own. Yeah, you, you generally want to forge your own legacy. Like it's not like a team like, and sometimes uh, the way a team treats a player can lead to uh, consequences. Like I don't think the Cincinnati Reds sign another Japanese player, no matter how good they become, because of the way that Shogo, what happened with Shogo Akiyama, how they didn't play him, right? Really, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't their fault. At the time like it, it's a very complicated situation but a lot of people uh from what i saw in the japanese media were not happy with the way the reds treated akiyama and so um like people remember people yeah want to be want to forge their own legacy and they want to be in a place where that that is proactively they proactively let them do that you know, uh, and we, we saw that with um, and, and sometimes being compared to players is a negative thing. Usually like when Tomoyuki Sugino, who I mentioned earlier, he uh, pulled some draft shenaniganery because he wanted to play for the Giants because no doubt it's his uncle's team. Um, he got drafted by another team and held out. 
And so people were comparing him to Suguru Egawa, another guy who was so intent on playing for the Giants that he held out not once, not twice, but thrice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he, he held out after high school and then he held out after after college. He got ended up getting drafted by the Lions, who were at the time playing in Fukuoka and were a joke. And then they got bought by the richest man in Japan and he still didn't sign for them. <laughs> Uh, he, and he was strong in his convictions. It sounded he was like, strong in his yeah. convictions. Uh, what he tried to do afterwards was he tried to go back to Japan and sign with the Giants, basically uh, in that window of like that one week window in between when the the draft signing period ends and the draft began. Mm. That didn't work out because that loophole had been closed without his knowledge. <laughs> and so, because once they realized what he was doing, it's like, oh yeah, close that loophole. Like, how's that a loophole? We're not going to allow close. that. Yeah. We're not. We're not going to let you do that. And then he got taken by the. Uh, well, it was it was back on the waiver system in, in that year for the first time in a while. So he got taken by four clubs, none of which fit his criteria for who he wanted to play for. He basically said, like, I want to play in the Central League and I want to play in the greater Tokyo area. So that meant Tokyo Giants, Tokyo Swallows, or Yokohama Whales. Any of if it wasn't for the like either of the any of the, if it wasn't any of those three, I won't play for you. Well, the Giants boycotted the draft. So he didn't end up getting drafted by them, but neither of the other two teams went for him either. And the Tigers essentially, the other teams like took him to hold him hostage in, <laughs> in a way of like, we know you're not going to sign with us, but we're going to take you just to see what we can get from Yami Yuri for you. Right. Yeah. And so they so ended up. You get something for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. And ended up uh, the Giants traded their ace to the Tigers for Igawa once the whole thing got set up, which is the second time they traded their ace away in five years. Wow. So, I mean, eventually he was able to get it. It just, yeah, he was able to get it. It's just like, he was able to get on the team. It was just kind of like a long drawn out process. You like comparisons in a lot of ways are, are set up as negatives nowadays. But it's, it's really like, as, as much as sensationalism has crept out for the media, from what I've seen mostly, they let players breathe and they let players be themselves. I like that. I mean, yeah. it's every every single guy that goes through college or high school right now is the next Otani. You know, it's a two-way <sighs> player and it's kind of like, you know, the kid for Florida, Calione. Like, oh no, he, he can hit, he can throw hard, but he's not Otani. I mean, let these guys be themselves and let let let, let me be me would be yeah. like my my first response if I was ever in a position like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing, um, you know, I know some of us are curious about for those of us around North America, um, resources, ways to watch games, anything you can recommend, websites, Twitter mm-hmm. accounts other than yours, obviously, yeah. that you encourage. Um, just give it to us, man. Okay. Uh, other Twitter accounts you should follow. Uh, you should follow the Yaku Cosmopolitan, uh, who's another big um, baseball uh, NPB YouTuber. Um, NPB on Reddit. Uh, there's the, the NPB subreddit, but also the guy who runs the subreddit also runs a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Uh, he posts scores, highlight video, like the links to highlight videos and uh, probable starting pitchers uh, every day, as well as news snippets. Uh, Jason Korsky, who's a journalist for the Japan Times, he usually covers baseball and will 
he will write um, more a few articles about it. Jim Allen, a former Yamiuri journalist who runs a weekly uh, blog uh, where he talks about games. Uh, his stuff is also available. Uh, the NPB subreddit is a great way to find out how to watch games. They have a pinned post, uh, okay. which leads to their wiki, uh, where it's like, here's how you buy tickets. Here's how you can watch games, uh, both legally and illegally. Uh, gotcha. Because for for some for this for half the league, you can easily watch at Pacific League TV. It's like something like fifteen bucks a month Canadian, which I uh, given the it's like fifteen hundred yen a month. Given the yen has just completely nosed off off a cliff, that's even cheaper in American right. money. Um, you know, uh, and you got. That gives you half the games, uh, all the PL home games during uh, interleague, and oh, nice. all of the uh, and all of the PL playoffs, bar the Japan series. Um, there's uh, there's also Toratelle, which gets you all Hanshin Tigers home games. Uh, if you have a Japanese credit card, you can use Dazone, uh, but you need a Japanese credit card Ooh, and a VPN okay. on mobile. Because uh, they block VPNs on desktop, but not VPNs on mobile. Oh, jeez. It's, it's very odd. Uh, and um, I know some people who have finagled their way around it, but it's it's much harder to do. I'm not going to link any um, any less than legal sites yeah. because I uh, I've already I've already, you know, I, 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 I know that there are execs from NPB who are aware of me <laughs> and yeah. I am not going to give them any more reason to, uh, don't ruin a to, good thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't to, 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 uh, wipe me from the face of the earth. So, um, cause they very much could with how messed up Japanese, Japanese copyright laws. Um, but again, um, like the, your main resources, there's also a bunch of Twitter accounts you can follow for highlights. Uh, Rackets in Pacific, which is um, and and as well as PLTV's Twitter account, they will post Pacific League highlights. Uh, and um, Tokyo Giants highlights when they're at home will be on the Twitter account NTV Baseball uh, with the headline usually Dramatic Baseball because that's Nippon Television's baseball okay. program uh, is is called Dramatic Baseball and has been for a while. Uh, so NTV baseball, if you want giants highlights, the Hanshin tigers will post their home highlights on their Twitter account. Same thing with the Yokohama Bay stars, uh, Hiroshima carp. It pains me as a fan of them to say, but, uh, good luck. You're going to have to deal with a bunch of bootleggy stuff. Gotcha. Uh, people filming this. If you want to like, you like, you have to look up the guy's name in Japanese and then, you know, fill up, like watch someone probably filming their screen. <laughs> Uh, to see the highlights <laughs> at some points it has been like that like my god it's bad um but uh, uh nhk will also um uh, post highlights on twitter but you need a vpn Dizone japan will also post highlights on twitter but you need a vpn to watch them outside of japan okay um it's it, there's a long list of of resources out there for you. It's one of the most painful things I, I hear people say is like, Oh, there's, there's no way for me to watch. And I'm like, there is, there's plenty of ways. You there's just, way, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just aren't yeah. looking. How hard are you trying? Yeah. Uh, one thing I stumbled across this year that I thought was pretty cool. And I do mention it in our discord is um, if you have a Roku or 
Plex or any of those natures where you mm-hmm. can add the custom channels. There's oh, one yeah, called the FTF fans. Sports. Yeah, yeah. FTF, FTF does them on uh, tape delay. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like stay away from Twitter so I don't spoil it. But you know, yeah, like, exactly. see some games a couple times a week. And that, that, that's my watch. biggest thing about like tape delay games. It's just like, yeah, I know what happened. Mm-hmm. I already got the alert. Yep. Yeah, I already got the alert. Um, I, there's one thing I wish that the PL would do is not just use the post game, uh, like actually edit their own highlight packs and not just use the post game one where he's like after every game they show a post highlight pack before the broadcast ends and it's usually with the commentators kind of like mumbling over it instead of like the actual like at the time commentary from the game can be pretty annoying but it's if you want to watch full highlights of Pacific League games all of those are on their YouTube channel uh, which is very easy to find just just type Pacific League TV you also get English Pacific League TV which uh, they have something called the Midnight Matinee, where they'll screen they'll stream like one game a month oh. uh, for free, which is pretty cool. Uh, I was fun. a part of that broadcast until they found out about my other work, and then they kicked me off. <laughs> it's Dang. just like, yeah, the, and my contact at PLTV was like, it's not, it's 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 not my decision. It's the suits above me, and I'm like, well, <laughs> well, say no more. Yeah, say no more. I can't do much. I can't do much more than show up at your office, and I can't exactly do that. Yeah, exactly. Not 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 a step outside the door for you. Yeah. So, Evan, it's been an incredible uh, adventure and informative interview having you on here today. Um, Thank you for having so me. So much content, man. Um, absolutely love it. So tell the good listeners out there one more time, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we find you on YouTube? How do we get some more info from you? Uh, Gaijin Baseball on Twitter and YouTube, uh, G-A-I-J-I-N Baseball, because uh, I know some people have had uh, you know issues spelling it. Um, I'm also on Reddit at uh, The Cursed Lexus, although I don't exclusively post baseball there. I'll occasionally just you know shit post and throw whatever I throw whatever I feel. Hey, that's on that's other the stuff. glory of Reddit. You know? That's the glory yeah. of Reddit is I can just like do what I want. Um, you know. <laughs> I, I often tell people I started out to share my Gran Turismo sport liveries on Reddit. And that led to me shit posting about formula one, which led to me going into baseball, which led to me posting about NPB history. So it's, it's been a long and winding road to get where I am. And it's you quite know, an evolution. Yeah. Oh, it's quite an evolution. It's the beauty of it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Evan Gaijin baseball. Check them out, everybody. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, welcome back. If you're still with us after all the interviews, you're a champ. Um, you know, probably one of our longest shows yet. But for me and TJ, at least, I, I think I'm saying that maybe it was one of the most informative and, uh, you know, a lot of eye-opening information from Gaijin Baseball, from NPB Card Guy, from Lindsay as well. TJ, what would you think? I mean, first of all, speaking of champions, Philly, the showrunner over here. I mean, you booked three top-notch guests uh, all in one episode, man, and uh, big shout out to Lindsay for coming on a second time. Uh, big shout out to my man, uh, Gaijin Baseball. Uh, Evan, you're a beast, bro. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to, you know, make the interview, but man, that was a good one. That was yeah. a good one. <laughs> and uh, Dave, the MVP card guy, I mean, I uh, I really had no idea, man. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, super interested in just Japanese baseball all of a sudden. So hopefully that doesn't affect my bank account too much. But uh, big shout out to all these guys for coming on, man, taking the time and just, you know, educating us a little bit, sharing some of what they they love and they care about with us a little bit. And it was uh, 
It was good, man. It was good stuff. Shout out to you, Philly, the showrunner. Let me. Oh t- man, I mean, you might have to look up that t- that 2009 Konami Yadier Molina card now. I think, and you know, dip your toes into the Japanese baseball card card pool a little bit. Jeez, I, I mean, uh, damn. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get into these. Uh, I'm gonna get like a VPN and start looking at Mercari over in mm-hmm. in Japan or whatever else he was saying. It's, oh yeah, it's nuts. Get, your, get your proxy bidders going. You know it, man. I mean, yeah. Please link all that stuff in the pod notes, Philly, so I don't miss it, bro. Taking notes over sure, here, but uh, I ran out of paper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, three hours of uh, of, of nice learning there for us. So, um, you know, one thing we wanted to touch on too, a little bit just for fun. You've been watching the playoffs at all? Yeah, a little bit and a little bit. So at the risk of the TJ curse, let's talk about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we saw our curse living the dream uh, with Tampa Bay and their ineptitude, you know, one out away from the longest postseason scoreless streak in Major League history. And, uh, you know, a little disappointing and kind of, you know, some of the things we've been talking about over the over in the Discord every once in a while, just because you can build a team to get to the playoffs doesn't mean you're built to win it. So let yeah. down there. You need some offense in, in October, man. You need yeah. some bats in October. You got to hit and, uh, you know, pitching a win every time. But if you can hit, you know, this is the time to do it. And the bats went quiet. Uh, you know, I hitched my wagon to the Mariners first. I was really pulling for them and then the Rays. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to to pick another team as, you know, in terms of a fan. But uh, so, you know, if you're a Phillies, D-backs, Astros, Rangers, if you're a fan of any of the remaining teams, hang on to your hats. I think we're going to make some picks, Philly. What you think? Yeah, why not? I mean, I know I'm picking, if nothing else, I want to see Royce Lewis every time he's up to bat now. I mean, mm-hmm. that guy, uh, there's clutch and then there's whatever he's doing, man. He's just, he's a one-man machine. So as we record this, uh, you got four series remaining, and each of them has already played one game. So you got the Phillies and the Braves. Phils are up by a game. Diamondbacks, as we talked about, absolutely walloped the Dodgers last night. Uh, Houston uh, stole one from the Twins, if you will. And then uh, Texas and the uh, Orioles, Texas up one game. So who you like uh, moving forward, Philly? You want to say who do you like for the ALCS? For the ALCS, man, you know, I, I heard everybody and their concerns about Texas's pitching, but at least this round again, it might be just enough to get there. You know, they more or less had, you know, Andrew Heaney in a bullpen day yesterday, and they still got the win. You know, they get Montgomery and Eovaldi coming back through. That might be enough to win two more games and sneak by. That offense is just insane. And, you know, Evan Carter can't can't own it enough i mean you know i feel like we slept on the guy and he might be this year's jeremy pena just kind of that rookie out of nowhere that's absolutely gone on a roll so mm-hmm. i think texas um you know it's hard for me to bet against houston as much as i don't like them um but minnesota's got the pitching they've got enough offense so it wouldn't surprise me to see that series go five games what about you uh i'm gonna go twins texas uh, in the ALCS, uh, I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna pick the Astros just because I'm not. And uh, in terms of Baltimore, I'm a little shaky on the pitching, but um, you know you got a lot of guys that haven't been there before, so that could either play to your advantage or your disadvantage. And the fact is, is in Texas you got a lot of guys who, to one degree or another, have been there before. You got you know guys like Simi and Seager. These are grizzled veterans, been around right. for a while. Um, so I like Texas. And the Twins, 
you know, just kind of rooting for the Twins. But, you know, that's what I'd like to see, I think. How about the NL? What are you thinking over there? So uh, I really – and, you know, I, I mentioned it in the intro. I really just – I really just don't like the Phillies, man. I really <laughs> so uh, Braves D backs in the National League is is the direction I'm going to go, um, and I guess my heart is kind of with the Diamondbacks. So let's go. There you go. I mean, you know, growing up out here, the only other team that we had on the air every day was the Braves. So kind of always been my second favorite team. The the one I got to watch that actually won in the '90s. Um, so I'm rooting for them, but can't can't lie after you know they couldn't win with strider on the hill yesterday i'm a little worried um you know phillies might have it again you know they got hot at the right time they, they seem to do time. that every yeah, year exactly. don't i mean fucking bryce harper man the guy you know they got didn't no he have tommy john like there. 15 minutes ago oh yeah yeah Jeez. I mean, just insane you know and man i would love to see arizona on the next round but i don't know i again it's tough i mean the dodgers they got screwed yesterday with Kershaw on the mound. He couldn't even make it out of the first inning. So, you know, is Bobby Miller going to be much better? I don't know. I don't so, think I don't the know. Dodgers have the for, I'm hoping for Braves D-backs, but, you know, I think in my heart of hearts, I'm going Phillies D-backs next round. All right, so who's your World Series? I'm thinking Phillies-Texas. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think that Texas, you know, bullpen finally – screws them, you know, in the World Series. I think they make it far enough, but, you know, I don't know if Chapman and the collection of misfits is enough to get them by the Phillies, you know, in those close games in the end. Um, you know, we know the Phillies can hit timely, and they were close last year, and they might have enough this year. I'm going to go with Texas D-backs. I think that uh, the Diamondbacks have that one-two punch with Gallon and Kelly, and I think that at this stage of the season – that's just about all you need. Back into that bullpen looks solid now, and they finally have a closer for the first time. And shit, man, I can name a Diamondbacks closer exactly. Um, yeah. So you know, I like I like that, and and I think the Braves rotation is falling apart at the right time. Now I give you the caveat: the Braves, when that offense is hitting, man, they they're scoring runs unlike anybody else. Um, well, that's the thing. I think there's going to be a game or two where you or I could be out there pitching for them. And they're still going to win because of Acuna, Riley, Olsen, all these guys. I mean, yeah, you get Halby's going, you get all these. I mean, they're hitting, they're stealing. Yeah. I mean, they've got three or four guys in that lineup that can hit four on most teams. You and know, they're going to have one of those games when they put up seven runs in the first and it's already over. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they do. So I wouldn't but, count them out. So I'm going to go uh, Texas and the Diamondbacks. And I'm going to take I'm gonna take the Diamondbacks all the way. I'm going to give the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. that little uh, – I think Carroll's hot. The guy can't stop hitting. I think, no. like I said, I like that one-two punch. I like the back end of that pen. Texas has a lot of things I don't trust. I don't trust yeah. Chapman in the playoffs. Um, I don't trust the Braves rotation in the playoffs. And I really just hate the Phillies. So let's go uh, Let's go Diamondbacks. I, you know, I'd love to see that. that that's going to make for an exciting series if that happens. Um, yeah, I think Phillies-Texas for me, you know, like I said, I think – if I had to pick one, I'm probably going the Phillies all the way, and I hate it. I mean, even back to the 93 playoffs, man, when they knocked out my Braves and my best friend from Philly rubbed it in my face for a week. I hate the Phillies too, you know. Nothing against some of the players, but, you know, that organization, that city, make a good cheesesteak, but that's about it, man. 
you know, for me, man, and it's not, and let's get personal for me. It's not even the Phillies. I love Ryan Howard. I love Jimmy Rollins. I love Roy Halladay. These are like, like hard nosed ball, but Chase Utley. I mean, yeah, come on, man. And I could probably name three or four other guys, but Philadelphia Phillies fans, <laughs> there's a segment of you people that are just intolerable. So, you, as you know, Yadier Molina's last baseball game was played as a, in a loss to the Phillies. You wouldn't believe the shit I got on the internet over that. It was up until that point I didn't mind the Phillies. So since then, mm-hmm. I'm done with y'all. I, I, you know, I hope kick rocks. I hope Bryce Harper blows out his other elbow. Um, but yeah, it's just there, there's a segment of that fan base just insufferable. Oh yeah, I mean, I've been I've been resentful against them since the Lenny Dykstra, Darren Dalton days, man. I mean, you know that Joe Carter home run against them in the World Series, I threw it right back in my friend. He went and sat in his parents' car for an hour because he didn't want to hear me taunting him anymore. So, well, and anytime you guys want to start an argument with me, I'll just go back. And it's been a while, but we could talk about 2011, right? And we could talk about Ryan Howard leaving his Achilles on the first baseline. So don't come to me with your Philly arguments. <laughs> uh well i don't know i'm i'm looking forward to you know seeing how it all unfolds you know I'm a little i'm over my blues about the mariners at this point and you know yeah. t- life will go on and i'm sure we'll have an interesting off season full of uh stupid comments from front office as we are want to do maybe maybe our cardinals and mariners will make a trade or two here and there man i still want george kirby i read a, a rumor today that the cardinals are going to make a big trade for Tyler Glass now. <sighs> well, I mean, it, I don't, it, it, I don't know what Tampa needs, but I mean, they, hopefully not any of our prospects. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck. I mean, I don't know anybody who ever wins a trade from Tampa, so good luck taking yeah. a no. multiple time broken arm. We want Kirby. I hope you like Tyler O'Neill. Uh, well, hey, we gave him you in the first place. We drafted him, so yeah, we you love can him. have him back. You can have him back. Hey, Philly man beast of a Philly the showrunner day to day. Appreciate you bringing on Dave, Evan, Lindsay, and a big shout out to the pod father, Robert F. Baseball for, you know, setting up this whole little community where we all exist and can kind of do our thing. Bobby Banger Box. Oh, man. Bobby, Bobby, we can't wait to hear your uh, soulful voice back on the airwaves, you know, this time next week. Looking forward to the return of the EFIS. Um Shout out to all you in the Discord too. I mean, you know, we get our uh, our fuel and our drive from you guys, and want to make good shows for you. Talking to you, getting the feedback, we love it. So you degenerate it. bastards. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 not an insult if it's true, right? If you're still listening at this point, three hours deep, and you're hearing me bang on the Phillies and bang on each other, then you know, hats off to you. You're who we're making this show for. All right, and lastly, uh, special thanks to Alex and his band, the Reagan Era Rejects, for being our musical guest this week. Make sure to check them out on Spotify. they got a new EP coming out in November. Um, I'm sure Alex will keep us posted, maybe throw another song our way or two uh, before we wrap up for the season as well. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, check us out, uh, Tool Time, on Instagram. Check me out, TJ the Yachty Guy, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Got little previews and sneak peeks of the show I post up there. A little bit of a fun time. Check us out on the Discord, Reddit Baseball Cards, subreddit. I'm all over the damn place. I can't get off my phone. So shoot me a message and we'll talk about it. Peace out, everybody. Later on, guys. Sure, you got to love. Principal. But don't say, hate is my enemy. What to say? What's that word?
Hate is mine, and I gotta fight it day and night. Want us ourselves as a line. Love's the only weapon. Shit! Bullshit! Oh!